Welcome to Making Mind Marvel, a podcast by true believers. For true believers. Presented by ModernMythMedia.com. I'm Sean Gerber. And I'm Paul Herman. Your podcast for news and discussion about Marvel movies, television, and comics begins now. Are you kidding? I'm working. This takes precedent. Security breach. I need a boss. We have a Hulk. You give me one of those large enough to ride. <laughs> Sounds exhausting. Well then, son, you've got a condition. I'm sorry, this is the fun bee. The humdrum bee is back there. If you attempt to leave right. or play any games, I will tase you and watch Super Nanny while you drool into the carpet. I don't like bullies. I don't care where they're from. That man is playing Galaga. Thought we wouldn't notice, but we did. At this point, I doubt anything would surprise me. Ten bucks says you're wrong. You've got a plan. I have part of a plan. Not a great plan. Nobody talks to my friends like that. I'm rude. Finally, someone who speaks English. Is that what just happened? This mortal form has grown weak. I need sustenance. I made breakfast. You guys eat that sort of thing. Just like Kevin Bacon. That's what we call ourselves. Sort of like a team. Earth's Mightiest Heroes type thing. Welcome to Making Mine Marvel. My name is Sean Gerber. With me is my co-host, co-pilot, back from assignment. Well, he already came back from assignment, but he's not going on assignment again anytime soon. Paul Herman, how are you today, Paul? Well, um... I saw Age of Ultron... Ultron... I saw Age of Ultron... I can't talk today. Twice. I saw Age of Ultron twice. There we go. Woo! I can talk. All right. Um, so I feel pretty good. Uh, I got a lot to say about it. So I'm ready. Okay. Well, it's good because that's that's why we have a show. Uh, joining us also is Katie Sullivan. Katie, how are you? Hey, how are you? I'm good. I am well. And hey, Chris Plow, and uh, Chris Clow, aka the King of Cranes. Let me intro him again because there's just too much love going on. Chris Clow, how right. are you today? <laughs> doing okay i uh jumped off of a crane into a cold pool of water so i was able to wake up very quickly (laughs) nicely done nicely done you don't appear to be doing as well as paul and katie though so we're gonna have to up that a little bit come on chris (laughs) all right i I stubbed my toe so oh well and it's just been the day's just gotten worse and worse from there yeah pretty much it's okay though we're we're gonna talk about something fun stubbed his toe and then watched the batman versus superman trailer and then got really depressed that's why (laughs) (laughs) boom goes the dynamite thank god this is a marvel show otherwise people would get really mad but you probably cost us like five itunes reviews by the way (laughs) i love you all speaking of itunes reviews um that is the best way for you to share this show with your fellow friends and Marvel fans, even though it is for you specifically. Uh, we're on our next episode that we're going to be recording this same day. Jeremy Flores, who wrote an iTunes review and won that contest, to, won that drawing uh, to be on our show. He's going to be with us on our Q&A show for Avengers Age of Ultron that we're recording later today. Anybody who has a review in by May 8th is eligible for a drawing to come on this show and review an episode of Daredevil with us. And you, if you're the winner, get to pick the episode that we review. So make sure you have your iTunes review in there by uh, May 8th. And it also just helps and supports the show if you rate and review the show on iTunes and subscribe while you're there if you haven't already. But this episode is, of course, our roundtable review 
of Marvel's Avengers Age of Ultron. We have all seen the film. We're going to talk all about it, but right now we're in what I'll just call the safe zone. We're going to start out with a really quick general non-spoiler review of Avengers Age of Ultron before we get into the nitty-gritty details of the film. So I'll give you guys a warning before we start spoiling the crap out of this movie. You've probably already seen it if you're listening to a Marvel show, but in any event, if you haven't or want to see, I don't know, maybe need to see it like three times before we start telling you about the spoilers that you already saw, I don't know. But in any event, uh, we're going to start out with the non-spoiler thoughts. So Katie, I'm going to throw it out to you first. Without any spoilers, what do you think of Age of Ultron? I both loved and hated it simultaneously. <laughs> <laughs> that seems to be going around. Um, Wait, how many like times I, have you seen it so far? I've seen it twice. Okay. But I will say I was really tired when I saw it yesterday, and I might have closed my eyes a couple times. <laughs> I don't blame you. <laughs> so, yeah. no, I mean, there, there are things that I really, really liked about the film, and then... There are just a couple things that I think maybe with repeated showings, I might come around to it a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Um, But there are some parts that I just wasn't on board with. So, yeah. But it was was good. The – I thought it had good humor. Um, I don't know. I really liked the action scenes. Mm -hmm. So, overall, it was a really good film. But it doesn't have the rewatchability, I think, that the others do. Mm. right off the bat so how about you paul well it's funny because uh let me point out like because paul was super ominous on twitter (laughs) on friday if you don't follow him at herman 22 with two n's so yes paul just lets out this tweet of sigh shrug (laughs) (laughs) like avengers not dramatic see now Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's like, oh, small spoiler. That's like Ultron saying that was dramatic. I really felt like that was Paul right there. Just, but uh, I know better because I remember Paul's tweets from Guardians of the Galaxy acting like, oh, I don't know. But then he ends up loving the film when we do the review. But Paul, what are your non-spoiler thoughts? Well, uh, for me, you know, people know, obviously, on the show, I'm a huge, huge Marvel fan. And I the first Avengers film was one of my it's probably one of my favorite films of all time uh it is i don't know if it was a perfect storm just i rewatched that film in the theater probably almost 10 times in the theater by itself and i saw it twice when it came out on blu-ray because i just wanted to absorb that as much as i could that movie is very special to me and i probably forgive a lot of its you know the first film's you know problems or you know whatever they were because i just for some reason i just it just connected just that Marvel fan in me, just it just immediately connect, you know, connected to me. One of the things about Age of Ultron that when I first saw it, there just it just didn't it didn't connect to me as much as I wanted to initially. Um, I remember the first time watching it, um, I just it was hard for me to just kind of wrap my head around so much that it gave me, and it wasn't. And I think Katie like, sums it up so well. She said she Thank both you. loved. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> um, you said you both loved and hated it, and that's kind of how I felt the first time. And I remember, you know, Sean texting me like right afterwards, like you know, being pretty ominous, man. I'm like, no, of course I'll give my 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 boy and my and my other crew uh, my thoughts initially, but I you know, I just kind of told him I said, you know, it's a mess, and. I said, you know, before I really give a final opinion on it, I need to see it again. So, um, and here's the crazy thing. 
yesterday I was going back and forth with with my wife if I was gonna, if I was going to actually go see it again. I didn't even know if I was going to go watch it one more time before the podcast, and that's. And Sean, you should know, like, I don't like doing that, but I really considered, do I even want to watch this again? And I were in the mall uh, and just hanging out. And I said, you know what? Let's just go see it. I need to see it again. I don't want to. It just feels weird for me. And the fact I just even didn't know if I want to watch it again screamed to me like this is a I don't know about this. And I'm really glad I got I, I sat down and watched it again because I did enjoy it a lot more that second time. I think the film is is the action scenes, which that's the reason we see these movies. And let's be honest. Yes, the character development's fine, whatever. If I want to see character development and, you know, and I say character development, meaning really intense, like grueling character development, I'll go watch a drama or an indie film or, you know, I'll go watch Birdman or something like that, right? That's, <laughs> that's, that's what that's for, okay? I watch superhero movies to see Captain America throw his shield, Hulk, you know, tear things apart. I see Iron Man go fly through the air and see Thor breaks up with his hammer. I mean, there's reasons why I watch these films and getting their characters right. And I think that ultimately is the most important part of these films. Yes, we need to have the character development. We need to have the seriousness and the emotional aspects of these films and make them have depth. And that's important. And it always will be important. But in the end, for me, that's what ultimately makes the eight-year-old squeal and makes me go, I love this movie. And I think in the end, it does that. It just has a very roundabout way of doing it. So, you know, I, like I said, I sat down and watched it again. I enjoyed a lot of the things I had um, or I enjoyed the things I enjoyed the first time about it even more. And the things I had problems with, some things I had problems with, they got a little bit better. Um, but overall, I liked it. I didn't love it nearly as much as the first film. I think Winter Soldier and Guardians of the Galaxy are still better films. I think it's obviously better than Iron Man 3 and Dark World. Um, I don't, as far as other phase two films, I'll have to see like how what Kate said, I need to see its rewatchability. We'll, we'll get to rankings a little bit later. <laughs> right, but, right, right. Uh, but, yeah. But yeah, that's, I, I just, it, in my closing non-spoiler thoughts, I thought it's, it's good. It's just not as good as I wanted it to be. Fair enough. And Chris, what'd you think? And you can actually read Chris's full review over on Geek Nation, right? You have it up over there. Yeah, I do. And it's non-spoilerish as well. So uh, feel free, feel free to take a look at it, even if you haven't seen the movie for some reason. Exactly. So this will be the abridged version of Chris's (laughs) non-spoiler review. (laughs) Pretty much, yeah. (laughs) No, I mean, that's, I I, I pretty much put everything that I, I didn't get into too many specifics, of course, because you can't if you're not going to be spoiling things, but... I I mean, it sounds like I liked it more than Katie and Paul did. I mean, I think that... um, Thank God I'm going to have a teammate on this show. (laughs) Oh, stop. I still didn't hate it. Yeah, I didn't hate it. I just didn't like certain parts of it. I know. I know. Don't worry. We're prepared to fight. Let me put it it this way. It wasn't the home run that the first one was, but it wasn't trying to be. And that's what I really appreciated about it. You know, it's Mm -hmm. just... it's. I mean, a lot of people, including Joss Whedon at some point during the production, compared the effort of Age of Ultron to the difference between A New Hope and The Empire Strikes Back. I mean, they right. are right. very different movies. And I I actually, you know, at first I was kind of off-put by the fact that, you know, it doesn't add a whole lot of, of narrative material to the overarching universe. I mean, it gives yeah. some service to stuff that we'll see in the future, and some service to stuff that we've seen in the past. But for the most part, this is a standalone Avengers story. And 
I didn't think that I would like that as much, but after coming out of the movie, I actually did like that quite a bit. It's um, There's more stuff that's probably going to be reverberating out from this movie than stuff that affected this movie um, from the others going into it. Uh, and, and I thought that was cool. I mean, Joss Whedon again proves his mastery of ensemble. He, um, he, he deals with a lot of characters, but it doesn't ever feel like he's overloading you. At least it didn't to me. And um, there, was, there was some very solid character work. Ultron was probably one of the better villains of the MCU. It might have rushed his development a little bit too much. I mean, this isn't a movie that's without flaws, but, I mean, it sounds like there was kind of a a problematic production schedule for this one as well that didn't really afflict the last one as much. So, I mean, the the film that this one is going to be compared to the most is the first Avengers film. And that one really proved so much. It was kind of an innovator as far as the superhero genre is concerned. Age of Ultron isn't as much of an innovator, but it had uh, it, it just it wasn't trying to be that. It wanted to be something different. It, it didn't want to be Iron Man three point five or Captain America two point five. It wanted to be Avengers Act Two, and it feels very much like the Act Two of a play. So, um, you know, where everything goes to hell because it's got a a more muted color palette. It's got an overall different aesthetic. It took place in a very different part of the world for the most part. So it just looks different. And uh, and all of those things I actually really enjoyed. So for the most part, I mean, it's I think it's solid, but we'll get into what some of the flaws are going into it. But I mean, I, I enjoyed Age of Ultron. I really love Avengers Age of Ultron, and I'll, we'll get into rankings and stuff later on down the line, but it's really, for me at, at this point, it's a matter of figuring out how much I love the film compared to maybe some of the other MCU efforts, because I really enjoyed this movie, and I don't know, that I wasn't as conflicted about it as Paul after my first viewing, I still really liked it, but then I liked it a lot more after the second viewing, and then even more after the third viewing, and I think what I appreciate of it is that sense of scale. It feels so much bigger than the first film because they literally are going to more places in the world as this story is told. And it stretches to the point where the seams begin to show and maybe even tear a little bit in some places. But for me, it just has these stellar moments and some some of them have a really heavy emotional impact that make it more worth uh, more than worthwhile on its own. So to me, I think Age of Ultron represents so much of what I love about Marvel and why I enjoy being a Marvel fan. So that's why I, I come away from it really, really loving uh, loving the movie, in spite of some of the things and some of the criticisms I do have that we'll talk about. But overall, from a non-spoiler perspective, I really enjoyed the hell out of Age of Ultron. And it's one that I look forward to watching probably at least a few more times be before it leaves theaters and it's weird now to be doing a roundtable review because we've done so many commentaries recently i'm like let's fire up the blu-ray and let's start talking about this movie as it plays and it's like oh wait we don't we don't have it yet and that's, that's a few months out but i really enjoy the movie and this is going to be your one and only warning for the i guess we're leaving the safe zone now so we've given out our non-spoiler thoughts 
we are moving into spoiler territory. So from this point forward, uh, anything we discuss is going to be spoiler related with the film. And if you get spoiled, it's your own fault. Before we get started, does anyone want to get out? Now, I want to start off our spoiler section by talking about the returning heroes. We'll get into the new characters later, but we have our classic characters from the very uh, well they are classic in terms of comic books and relatively new as far as movies go but uh, we have iron man captain america black widow hulk hawkeye thor nick fury maria hill all returning but uh, i think for me i'll just start off with iron man i really liked uh robert downey in in this movie and i think what i liked about iron man's character in this is that he didn't dominate this one i felt as much as he dominated the first one I felt like the in the first Avengers movie, and it's not so much a criticism, but I, I felt like it was kind of an Iron Man and Cap movie, and everybody else kind of along for the ride. I felt like overall this was a more balanced, um, uh, more balanced film in terms of how each character, the weight given to each character and their importance in the storyline. And I think, like to your point, Chris, with Joss Whedon's strength in writing and, and of course now directing ensemble pieces, I felt like he made this. This felt like even more of an ensemble piece to me than the first Avengers film because it was more balanced. But as as far as Iron Man's specific role, he's witty, he's charismatic, he's funny as he as he always is. So I was really you know digging his lines and laughing and laughing quite a bit. Um, and I liked where his character was coming from in this movie because some people had said, well, isn't he supposed to be retired at the end of Iron Man three? And I've seen that thrown out there, but I never interpreted it that way. I mean, the last thing he says in Iron Man 3 is, I am Iron Man. But with what he was doing with Pepper, with the whole clean slate thing, it it was clear that he was trying to at least move towards the end of being Iron Man, which is more of how I interpreted it. And they picked up with that in this film, where he's trying to end the fight. He knows there's something, there's bad things happening now, but then there could be something through the vision that he's shown by Scarlet Witch that there could be even worse things coming, and he just wants to have, being Tony Stark, being the inventor, he can't help himself. He wants to be the guy who just invents the thing that protects the world forever and always, and then they don't have to do this anymore. So I liked that aspect of his character, because that's going to show where, even with the best of intentions, you can sometimes see the very worst of Tony Stark, which I think is something that also sets up uh, his character for Civil War a little bit. So all of that was was great to me. Um, my only quibble with Iron Man a little bit, though, is he totally gets off scot-free at the end. You know, he creates this Ultron thing, although even though technically he gets, there's one point in the film where he kind of talks about him not really creating it because, well, or at least being a little more indirectly involved because when he and Banner left the lab, Ultron did not exist. There was, they hadn't been able to create it. And then Ultron kind of brought himself into existence. But either way, Tony Stark is the one who unlocked a door for Ultron to walk through. And I just kind of feel like when he walks away at the end of the movie, he doesn't necessarily have to deal with what he's done. And because there's a lot of destruction in Age of Ultron. And while the Avengers do a lot of work to save and prevent the civilian loss of life, there were undoubtedly lives lost. And that's the kind of stuff I'd like to see weighing on Tony Stark or at least laid on his feet somebody saying that this is his fault or something that he should be atoning for so that's one of my criticisms of is how it's handled with Stark at the end where he's it's like he's just riding off into the sunset with a happy retirement but 
overall, I liked it. I just have that one issue with it. Yeah, I think uh, Iron Man for me, uh, Tony Stark, his character, I, he still seemed the feature prominent one. I think he, you know, because he he, he basically was creation of of Ultron. Um, I think that he it was i do agree with you he got off scot he got he got off scot free but a part of me also realized too that the scarlet witch was the one kind of manipulating everything he, she kind of was the one that kind of kind of jump started that i felt yeah, like that's true and that and that's and they, but they didn't do a see this is the thing they didn't do a very good job of kind of like explaining that like it took me the second time to kind of get that i kind of got it the first time but it yeah. took me a couple different times to get it so i don't know i thought tony stark was um I, I felt the exact opposite. I felt like, as far as uh, I felt, the the balance was was actually worse in this film because there's so much going on, and that like it things seemed forced and it didn't seem natural. Whereas I felt the the ensemble piece, it would have been better if there was less characters in there. But Iron Man still was like the main focus, obviously, which he has to be. I don't know. Um, I mean, it's definitely he has the through line with with Ultron, but. Right. I kind of felt like the bigger character moments, like who did we actually get to know better in this film? And I thought we got a lot more uh, Quicksilver slash Scarlet Witch. We got a lot, definitely, definitely got more Black Widow uh, in this one, along with uh, Bruce Banner. Um, and of course, uh, which I think is going to be a big point of controversy here in a little bit, Hawkeye. So, I mean, I think yeah. there's, I think there was actually more going on in more detail with other characters than there was necessarily with Stark. And I think that might actually be, in a weird way, I like it, but that might also be my problem. That might also be part of why I feel like Tony didn't have to fully deal with what was going on with Ultron. Because if you, and maybe that's just the Marvel comic book fan looking at it and saying, well, Hank Pym is just absolutely tortured by him creating Ultron. And Tony Stark, I don't mind Tony Stark when he just kind of laughs at the beginning and says, hey, look, I, I took a shot at doing something that needed to be done and it went horribly. OK, let's go fix it. I, I get that, but it's OK for Tony to feel that way in the beginning because nobody's died yet. But, but what with everything that Ultron's done by the end of the film, I kind of feel like there should have been at least a little bit more uh, from from Tony Stark there. And, and I mean, even when he uh, rides off at the end. I would have appreciated if he was fired. I mean, they make it seem like it was his choice, but I, I would have appreciated something where the Avengers say, hey, look, we can't have you right now. Like, well, I don't care. You're suspended. You're fired. You're whatever. Like, I would like to see something that's more of a, a consequence of what he did. Or Tony himself just saying, like, I need to step away because, yes, I wanted to step away even at the beginning of the story, but I also need to step away because my... You know, my passion to try and save the world is also cre is creating things that almost destroyed the world. So it's probably a good time for me to step away and reevaluate. But there's just none of that. So, I mean, I think even a, just a couple lines of dialogue could have probably changed that for me. Iron Man's place in this movie, I'm, I'm, I'm not quite sure if I agree with the, the, the statement that he wasn't um, as much of a focus. I mean, it definitely focused on... Uh, on his nightmarish vision from Scarlet Witch, and that was kind of a through line that served a lot of the plot. But, I mean, I'm okay with it because he is the... He's kind of like the QB for this iteration of the Ooh, Avengers. Ooh, reference, Cloud. <laughs> nice. Hey, I, I don't know many, but I know a couple. Um, But, I don't know. I mean, it, it, it seemed like 
you expect to see a lot from Iron Man in in the team up movies. I mean, that's why a lot of people go first of all is to see what he's up to. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I I didn't really the only thing I guess that bothered me about Iron Man's presence and. Sean, you said that, you know, it carried sort of a narrative thread over from the end of Iron Man 3 where he's looking for the end. I would have liked to see a little bit more of a transition between where he's at at the end of Iron Man 3 and where he's at at the beginning of Age of Ultron. It wasn't necessary particularly, but it would have been something that I would have preferred that they explore a little bit to see how – you know the the development of 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 the latest suit maybe even just a line of dialogue about it you know would have would yeah. have been nice for me but i mean it's not something that i'm going to hold against it i mean he's here he's obviously serving a purpose by helping to create ultron and if anything it seems like he in in the first avengers movie it didn't really seem like he had learned the lessons very much from his own movies in this one, it seems like he's a little bit more developed. He he seems more like the Tony that has gone through three of his own Iron Man movies to to get to this point. And um, I think the times that I would I would probably I was probably most engaged in what he was saying had to do with the fall of Shield because I mean that's really what's keeping the Avengers together. He's taking point. responsibility yeah. for the administration right. of the Avengers. And um and I I I probably would have liked to see that explored a little bit more because it's more just like, well, you saw this in Winter Soldier, so let's move on. Uh but that was one of my favorite parts of Winter Soldier. And that's kind of where my perception of this as more of a standalone story comes from, is that it very much wants to behave and act on its own, even though it's a part of this now 11 movie deep and two full TV seasons. Well, I guess four full TV seasons technically. Oh, yeah. Three and a half TV seasons deep of this entire web of, of content. But, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's a minor gripe. I mean, you come to an Avengers movie and you expect to see Iron Man taking charge and even though he sort of has deference to Captain America as far as his place in a, in a leadership role is concerned, I mean, it was it was nice to see him again. That's that's basically what I come away with the most. It was nice to see him being Tony Stark again because, you know, Iron Man 3 kind of left a question mark as far as what he would be like going forward. But, you know, he's he, at the end of the day, he's still Tony Stark. And... uh and the movie explored the slightest bit of guilt, but I'm still waiting on the promise that was made to me uh, before the release of Iron Man 2 of seeing sort of the destroyer of worlds, like this Oppenheimer-esque attitude that he was kind of supposed to have going into his first sequel. And they've still never really scratched the surface of that. But I'm not going to hold Joss Whedon accountable for that. That's more something to be explored in a in a solo Iron Man film more than anything. But they had an opportunity with the creation of Ultron to delve into that a little bit more, and I was kind of disappointed that they didn't do it. But at the end of the day, he's still Iron Man, and he's still uh, front and center in the Avengers, and, and I'm okay with that. What did you think about Iron Man in this movie, Katie? Um, I think I agree that he 
there should have been more guilt associated with what he did. But I also think that they laid it almost throughout the movie so well. Like, I feel like they planted a lot of seeds. That's true. So that even if they're... It's one of those things where, like, at the end of the day, you're probably just really tired. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you, know? you know what? Just, I, I can't even like, deal with you. Just, can you just, yeah. like, take your remote control car and just make it drive you away? <laughs> right? Remote but then, you know, the next time he does something stupid, they're all going to be like, oh, God, this is, like, the 15th Again? time we've let you do this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I really think that by, it's one of those, like, simmering. That's true. Like, anger type of yeah and it kind of came to a head when with the creation of vision like everybody went after him and we had a Mm -hmm. hero fight so you might be right there maybe i'm being too hard on the film in that spot well and i think that's just one of like because that was kind of what i when chris was talking about it feeling like a standalone film because for me i think it it is a standalone film but i really do feel like they've planted a lot of seeds for like which i'm you know i'm sure but like for civil war but that was to me one of the big things is you kind of had, you know, Tony Stark doing his thing and, and being him, but you could see where every time he's doing something, like somebody else is going, Maybe we should take a step back and really think about what our actions are are causing, you know, to the world, like the destruction or mm-hmm. how we deal with it. Um like you said, they did a really good job of like, we're not leaving until everyone else is or we're not doing this but it's still like a massive amount of destruction and then they don't seem to have guilt for it but i think that it's all going it's it's going to lay low and that's going to be one of the things that we see later like those are all going to come back up yeah so i think that's called civil war i mean i think we're yeah. you know when <laughs> we have as avengers 3 yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> right? actually i think in marvel terms it's a 2.1 I think it's how Marvel numbering yes. works. Thank you very much. Um, Are you sure it's just the, like all new now Avengers or something? No, that's true. <laughs> Captain America that's now. True. <laughs> all new Avengers now, this time for real. Um, <laughs> I think it's probably the way it goes. But Point one. Three. Yeah, but speaking of uh, Civil War, the other side of that is Captain America. Boom, segue skills, kids. This is radio. Um, anyway. Uh, Cap in this movie was... Is dreamy. Just like, well, duh. Um, <laughs> that part doesn't need to be said, just because everybody knows. But um, Chris Evans, in addition to being handsome as hell, uh, does, I, I mean, just picks up right where he left off in Winter Soldier. Like, Cap was a, one... I mean, there are many highlights that I have in this film, but I think of the returning crew, Cap is definitely up there because we just got so many good Captain America lines. Like, and... Evans just delivered them perfectly. The even from the very be, uh, bit at the beginning where uh, Maria Hill is talking and explaining to him about uh, the Maximoff <laughs> twins, and he's talking about them letting people experiment on them and whatever. And he and then uh, Cap, uh, Steve Rogers ends up saying some something to the effect of, "Yeah, what, what kind of crazy person would let a German scientist experiment on him?" And then when she says, well, we're not, at, we're not at war, and he says, they are. And that's what I love about Steve Rogers is that's the guy who, even though he is Captain America and began as this American propaganda tool, like he's not, he's still one of the most human members of the team because he is able to see it from the perspective of somebody else. And he instantly, even though like the Maximoff twins just you know whooped the Avengers a little bit during the, the uh, attack on Strucker's base, 
Cap is already able to see it from their side, and there's not really as much of a judgment there, which to me is just pure Cap. And going on before that, I mean, that scene between him and uh, Tony Stark at uh, Hawkeye's house uh, when they're doing the uh, chopping firewood or whatever, first off, splitting the log was freaking rad. Um, They actually showed us that scene at the Marvel event at the El Capitan Theater last October, and it was awesome to watch it again in the context of the film. I love that one of my favorite lines of the movie is every time somebody tries to win a war before it starts, innocent people die every time. And that, again, is such a perfect look at um, at Cap's viewpoint. And he really is this person who has just no compromise. There's no such thing as the lesser of two evils. There's just two evils. And you see that at the very end of the movie when they're thinking of what are they going to do with this part of Sokovia that's now been lifted into the air and being treated like a giant meteor that's supposed to create an extinction-level event on Earth. And Cap says, we're not leaving with, well, there's one civilian still on here. And, you know, like, it's not an option. That's not the way he, that's not the way he looks at it, which even if you're reading current Marvel comics with Captain America's attitude towards, um, uh, towards uh, certain events that are going on in Avengers and new Avengers, you can see like Cap is, that, that's still very much Cap. So that's part of, I, I just really got into all those elements of his character. I felt all of those things were working and Cap, you know, Evans just got to show Cap being Cap in a lot of the best possible ways in this movie. So he didn't have as much to go through. Nothing really changes him in this, but I actually liked that because it was nice to see Cap yeah. kind of settling in because it's just been this whole process we we pick up in world war ii while he's skinny steve and he goes through his first experiences cap then we have him just as a fish out of water man out of time in avengers and he's still kind of like that because he's just totally uneasy and thrown for a loop by this whole shield hydra thing in winter soldier but this is a captain america who's i think finally has his feet on the ground a little bit more because he's much more aware of what his situation is and what his place in this world is so that's something that i really like so cap was great in this movie for me let me throw it next to chris though because it doesn't it doesn't matter what i say about cap what did chris think about cap in this movie well once again he is the most likable character he is uh he, he he threw a shield probably more times than he threw it in the last few oh, movies. Oh man. Okay, we're going to oh. have to readjust the shield scoring scale for this movie because <laughs> we have like shield hammer combos like multiple <laughs> times in this movie, multiple iterations. I mean, just I can't the shield wait. Usage was ridiculous in an amazing yeah. way. I can't imagine like and plus like we have another one where it's bank shots while he's riding his motorcycle. I yeah. mean, and he yeah. you know combos shield throws with motorcycle throws in this movie. Like it's just insane, insane. Was there one combo with the Unibeam, or did I imagine that? that I, I think you imagined that one. Yeah. That was from oh, the uh, first film. Okay, yeah. yeah. Well, that's that that still might be one of my all time favorites, but um. No, the, I mean, obviously, Captain America was the character that I was uh, most anticipating. And if anything, I mean, and I kind of expected this, but didn't quite get enough cap for my taste. Um, but it, again, really, this was a very different movie. You know, like Sean said, it wasn't going to focus quite as much on him and Iron Man as as the previous ones did. But what we got were some really solid character moments, especially between those two. Um, even though probably on the whole, we didn't get quite as much. But I just love that he's got his old World War II buddies at the party. That was yes, amazing. Stanley being one really of them, good. of course. Like, but no, that was such a great touch of like, 
who could Cap invite to this party? <laughs> oh, here's yeah. all the old guys. Like, and it was as, that was such a great touch. As soon as the party scene started, and I I saw just one veteran, I was really happy. And then when it pulled back, and you saw several there intermingling, you know, between dubstep tunes. <laughs> it, 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 oh, it was a really nice touch, I, and I appreciated seeing that. And it makes sense, you know, and it also shows that, you know, he does still have friends around. So that, that was cool. But, I mean, um, unsurprisingly, he serves as the moral center of the film and, and of the team. And uh, there's, there's a lot going on here that, really kind of showcases why Steve Rogers is exceptional, even among this group of very exceptional people and a God. And um, I, I really appreciated the fact that even though technology isn't exactly his forte, he was still pretty readily able to understand the implications of what Ultron brings to the world, mm-hmm. and um, and as a you know as a huge Captain America fan, that was very refreshing. Um, I was hoping for maybe a little bit more between he and Strucker. I didn't realize that Strucker was going to be little more than a cameo in this movie. I thought that he'd have a little bit more of a substantial role, and Strucker is a pretty decent Captain America villain. So decent. I'll, I'll just He's huge man. Yeah, I'll He's I'll a huge just villain. I'll just roll that ex- expectation over to Baron Zemo for the next movie. Yeah. But um, <laughs> I don't even know what that is. But uh, that was a, that was an excited squeal yeah. of, for Baron Zemo. And I think <laughs> that's but I think that's why with Strucker, because he could seem at least with the way he's characterized in this, it's very easy for him to seem like a knockoff of Red Skull or of Zemo that you would see in the next movie. That maybe was a good idea to just kind of put him in there to as somebody formidable in in the sense that it's not like this was the only mission like they the characters talk about how they've been busting up hydra cells for a little right. while yeah. so at least he got to be like the last one i mean he was like a boss level fight that they got to do in in the beginning there but uh, i mean i agree i mean sometimes you see a character and you'd like boss to level. see him get to get a little more love but I, I think strucker was probably a good choice for somebody who's a big deal, but not that big a deal with the way they set him up in this one. So I was okay with it. Yeah, I mean, it's fine. At the end of the day, it doesn't really matter all that much to the to the structure of the movie. But, I mean, it's you know, it just goes back to, to comic book fan preferences more than oh, yeah. anything else. But, um, no, I mean, I think one of the things that I really liked, and I'm, I'm kind of plowing through to – I, I, I want to move along, so, but, so I'm kind of pushing to the end of the movie – but I like, again, that in the movies, just as in the comics, pretty much the mainstay of the Avengers and the thing that makes the Avengers is Captain America. You know, mm-hmm. rosters change and things around the team can change, but he's largely the constant. I mean, the, of course, we know that there are some lineups that he isn't a part of. Mm-hmm. To me, those haven't really been the Avengers. You know, it's uh, Captain America is the difference. It's just like... Um, you know the the lead singer of Smashing Pumpkins. He he can change his collaborators, but it's not the Smashing Pumpkins without him. And Captain America kind of is the Avengers, at least to me. So seeing the the new lineup and with him kind of at the lead of it made me happy. But overall, I mean, we didn't get quite as much Cap as I would have hoped, especially coming off of such a universe shattering movie like The Winter Soldier. 
but in hindsight, his place was appropriate. And it's not like yeah. we got the short shrift on Captain America. He yeah. was there and he was doing really awesome things, both physically and uh, philosophically. Yeah. And I think it was probably a smart idea to hold Cap back a little bit in this one because it is three years in a row that audiences are going to see Cap from right. Winter Soldier to Age of Ultron to Captain America Civil War next year. So my view probably was. Uh, wouldn't have been the greatest idea to make this a super Cap-heavy movie. But what did you think about Cap, Paul? Um, I, I loved Cap in this film. Um, it's funny because I felt he was a perfect balance in, in this. I, th- I felt he was one of the premier. He had the most scenes, obviously, rightfully so. Um, I felt that he had amazing action sequences. I think he, every, I think he just gets better. Not he gets better, but I think the Marvel uses his yeah. action scenes. And we shouldn't let this better. go without like mentioning, or at least I have to mention, like I really loved his one-on-one -on -one fight with Ultron. Oh yeah, and yeah. that was a, that well, was a highlight for me. Yeah, and I mean, it was exactly. such a funny bit when uh, he's like dragged on like the back of that truck, and Barton <laughs> and Hawkeye, you're not a match for him, Cap. Thanks, Barton. <laughs> like, yeah. just... and, and I love it. He's like, you know, keep him occupied. He's like, what do you think I've been doing? You know, <laughs> I know. I mean, it's, um, no, I, I felt Cap was a highlight of this film, um, as he should be, because he's the leader of the Avengers. It's not – we all know that right now Iron Man is, and, and Robert Downey Jr. slash Tony Stark is like the face of the Avengers as far as commercially, both in-universe and outside of universe. But with um, with Cap, though, I feel that uh, he is the leader, though. And I think it, it even kind of points to that a little bit. With, with you know, Iron Man doesn't like that, which I, I really thought was cool, a great aspect. I, I was wondering when Iron Man he did give way to Cap in Avengers, the first film, but then in this film, you can tell he's a little bit. Eh, I have to listen to this guy. You can tell he's rebelling against Cap a little bit, and that's where the rift kind of starts. Is with that whole dynamic of you're you know you're the leader, but you don't have the same ideas that I do, and my ideas are better. Um, but yeah, Cap really shines. I feel in this film. Um, it's funny you say that, Chris. You know, you don't think you think he didn't get as much as you wanted. I felt like he was a perfect balance of for Cap because he did have a lot of moments to shine. His leadership was on display at all times, and I felt that his people followed suit to him most of the time. And I felt there was almost a shift still when, again, when Tony and and, and uh, Steve kind of went at it a little bit. Um, you know, personality wise, um, yeah, his action scenes were were in, were amazing. Uh, both in the you know beginning of the film and and I think it, it's funny that I didn't appreciate the Ultron fight this until the second time I saw it and it was I don't know because if I was just you know it was part of the you know part of my problem with the film is it just kind of had so much going on that my brain was trying to catch up with with so much that I didn't process it all and I think seeing that second time I got to really yeah. dig into that fight scene. He like, throws the shield, it. it banks off of Ultron, then he kicks it back into him Ugh. like his it was, it was Ma amazing. Maximum shield points right there. Yeah, no, yeah. It was it was it was <laughs> honestly one of the better better fights I think in the MCU to be honest. I thought I felt it was an amazing, amazing sequence. So kudos to Whedon, Chris Evans, um, and the you know, people who the computer people, <laughs> the computer yeah. people, the ILM people, whoever did it. Um, fantastic job. So yeah, I, I felt it was it was good. A, a quick little thing on Strucker. Um, I, I was a little disappointed that he was killed off so fast. I would have liked it if he would have survived, but um, whatever. They've got so much to deal with. That's, I understand, but I was a little disappointed with that because I liked Baron Strucker. So yeah, I, Cap was perfect for me. How about for you, Katie? I also thought Cap was perfect, and I actually 
really liked just I liked that you could really see him be like you were kind of saying earlier, Sean, like we got to see him being the true leader this time. Not like he's kind of the leader because he's a natural leader, but he doesn't get like technology or certain references and things like that. Like this time I thought that it kind of summed it up perfectly when they were at Hawkeye's little house and, <laughs> and he's talking to to Tony and Tony's like, how come you don't have like a fallout from Scarlet Witch? And he does. He yeah. just doesn't, you know, that's not important for him right now. So he's able to like put that on the back burner and focus on that's what a good point. Yeah. is important. Oh, I, and how how good was that line when when uh, Tony says something about I don't trust somebody who doesn't have a dark side, and he yes! just says, "Well, maybe you haven't seen it yet." I was like, "Oh, Tony, you're gonna get your <laughs> ass whooped in the next movie." <laughs> <laughs> right? Like I just, <laughs> I think I appreciated that. I don't know. It's weird because. The first time I watched it, like I said, like I kind of love parts and hated parts. The first time I watched it, I felt like I'm watching this movie that is just setting it up like for Civil War. You know, like it's almost like we just it felt like there are all these little moments that were like leading up to it. And I was like, just make a good like Avengers movie, you know, like where we see all this action scenes. And like that's what I wanted. But the second time, I think I really did appreciate those bits i just was so focused on them i didn't think of them as like well it's really only this one line of dialogue right like it's only this one moment where he's able to put that on the back burner and focus on what's at hand and you get to see like he's still suffering he's still dealing with the fallout of this stuff he just knows that he can't let that you know lead him to create an ultron like tony stark does with his issues so i don't know i really appreciate it i loved his action scenes those were brilliant. Like mm-hmm. the first, the opening scene, I don't think I even appreciated all the shield shots the first time. It goes so quickly. So, yeah. And the his dialogue yeah. was per, like his one-liners. And he does. Chris Evans just has a way of delivering these one-liners mm-hmm. that are just great. Like he's just the perfect embodiment of that character when you read the comics. So, yeah. Yeah. He get yeah, he just gets so much out of his dialogue. Like even when like that's how great of an actor Chris Evans is and, and has become in this role specifically. Like with minimal time and minimal dialogue, he's able to create such an impact with it, with the delivery of his line. So he does a great, great job with it. Uh let's move on to Black Widow. And I think it's kinda hard to talk about Black Widow without also kind of talking about Hulk and, and Bruce Banner at the same time because we did get their <laughs> romance in this one. Which put, put them together, yeah. yeah. So uh but I'll start with Black Widow. First off, she just kicks all the ass in that opening sequence with the attack on Strucker's compound. I really like seeing Black Widow get some good action beats in the movie. But I, I think with with me though, like she has definitely the most emotionally impactful scene in the whole film for me which is again at the at the Hawkeye estate uh with uh when she's there with Banner and because they you know, they're teasing this romance like this is something that maybe the two of them have have kind of danced around and, and both of them are definitely aware that they like each other but they've not actually done anything about it and when it comes to when it comes to a head there after uh, everything that goes down in Africa when everybody kind of gets messed with by Scarlet Witch and now they're at Hawkeye's house and, and Banner just breaks down and says, you know, there is no future here. There's nothing we can do. There's no, you know, I can't have a family. I can't have kids. Like, it's just not going to work. And then Natasha Romanoff just 
deadpans like just well neither can i and she explains this the whole backstory that we were kind of seeing in her little scarlet witch dream sequence of her graduation ceremony from assassin school or whatever she's doing in this black widow program it's to have her biological ability to have children removed from her and the way scarlett johansson just delivers the lines i mean it's absolutely heartbreaking as she talks about you know, the one thing that could matter more than a mission, the one thing that could make killing more difficult would be you know, bringing another life into that world and having something that you're forever connected to. And you just see it and it's, it's heartbreaking. And it's even more heartbreaking when I'm remembering that while Scarlett Johansson is doing this scene, she herself is pregnant. So she's having to deliver this speech. Like she has this feeling inside of her in, in real life of what it's like to have, you know, to be having a child and now she's, as an actress, forced to think now just take herself to this dark place of thinking what it would be like to all the great things that she might be feeling right now. Okay, now think about it if you didn't have that and you never could. And I think that's where, to me, it just, I I lost it with that scene. I mean, I was tearing up. Like, it was an emotionally devastating scene. But I think it was so critical for a character like Natasha Romanoff, who's, very aloof a lot of ways and, and typically just dance like she does with kind of the romance with banner just dances around the emotion of things like kind of what she would do with cap in the winter soldier and even with uh loki where she got him to cooperate by faking uh emotional trauma faking like she was being upset but now we see something that really does uh really does bother her we see something that really puts her in a position where you know, we, we get to see more about how she feels about herself. And that's why I think the connection with Banner ultimately makes a lot of sense to me is number one, like, it's not like this romance totally comes out of nowhere, because they do have a connection going back to the first Avengers film a little bit. And it's not like we're introduced to this, and they've been together for like six years, and they're about to get married. It's like, they're not even together yet. They haven't even done anything yet. So that part of it is where it works. And I, I could just see with Banner, like they, they are just kind of these kindred spirits in a way, because both of them are, you know, they're forced to feel like outsiders who are now afraid, you know, who have extreme ability to hurt people, but are also often frightened by their own abilities to hurt people. And that's where I think with Ruffalo as Banner did a, a great job in this one. I, I think he did the best job from a performance standpoint and also Whedon from a writing standpoint of showing the sad side of Hulk while not making it just overly sad and depressing to the point that nobody wants to get into it, like you see with Eric Bana and Hulk in 2003, or even a little bit with Edward Norton and The Incredible Hulk in 2008. I feel like Ruffalo and Whedon together managed that better than anybody else because they didn't make it into a pity party. It's just he really doesn't want to hurt people. He never feels like he can trust himself. And he just wants to get away, in which we see at the end of the film, and that makes sense. So it's a little a little less fun this time with the Hulk because it wasn't just he's here to bat clean up and smash a bunch of Chitari like it was in the first one. But I think this is a, a chance for audiences to really get that sad side of being Hulk, but while still being able to have at least a little bit of fun or uh, fun with the character, but overall a greater appreciation for it. But Going back to it with uh, Romanoff, it's a greater appreciation, I think, for both characters. But Black Widow, to me, was a huge standout in this film. What do you think of Black Widow, Katie? This is one of the parts that I loved and hated. <laughs> so I really 
I agree. Black Widow was a standout character, and I think that um, I'm glad that they're using her to kind of connect pieces in the film, or in the in the different Marvel films, I guess we should say. And I really liked Mark Ruffalo's performance as Bruce. I liked when you were saying it wasn't overly stated how he feels, but like the moments where after. Um, What's the scene I'm thinking of? Like, after when they were going to Hawkeye's estate, as you call it, and you just get that shot of him, like, sitting on the plane, like, wrapped Mm -hmm. in a blanket. Like, he just can't even talk to anybody. That, to me, spoke more than any line he could have said. Or, like, when he's listening to the music afterwards. But I like the idea of the two of them together and I thought it was really powerful the way they talked about it but parts of it just sit wrong with me I think partially because they've created this character that uses her emotions but particularly is very good at kind of like flirting with any man she's around and so I think in this film when you see that she's actually has feelings for someone and is developing those feelings it's hard for me to like by the end of the film when he leaves and she doesn't know where he is and she's kind of dealing from the emotional fallout of that. That's when I finally was like, okay, I'm on board, but it took that whole time to get on there. Cause it just felt like she kept trying to kind of push herself on someone who wasn't sure he wanted it. And so it felt awkward to me, I guess, which is probably how it felt to him because he didn't, or to, to Bruce because he didn't know that that's maybe yeah. how he wanted it to play out. So I, I don't guess know if that's... it's so, yeah, but I guess the reason why I interpreted it a little bit differently is I didn't really see it so much as Bruce not wanting it. But it's more of a matter of Bruce not allowing himself to have it. And well, I th- and I, I agree. I think that's what I, I think that's what Black Widow was trying to do to get through to him was saying we can we can do this. We like we can just go away together. Like we we can go with. We've both done our part in this. We can just go and and live our lives and and not you know not bother with this stuff anymore and we can just be together and i i think she knows that bruce wants that he just doesn't think it's possible which is a little bit different than forcing something on somebody who doesn't want it yeah i guess i mean i i didn't mean it quite like that i said it a little wrong but i think it it's more it is it's like he doesn't he wants it but he doesn't think he can have it so she just keeps kind of bringing it up I guess I don't know it just felt a little awkward which I'm sure is how it would play out if you're trying to tell someone they can have all these things but then the first time I saw it it actually didn't bother me when they do have that moment of um him talking you know as you were saying I can't have children I can't have this life like it would just be me and possibly someone and, you know, this emotional fallout. And she tells him that she can either. And it's a very elegant moment. But there's almost something to me that the way, and I know it's her interpretation of it. I just don't know that I like this idea that, like, if you can't have children, I know it's more she views herself. Like, she's saying, I'm also a monster. And that's how maybe she does think of herself. I just thought I was like, oh, if you're like a woman who can't have children, it's you're watching this movie and this is coming mm. up. It's emotional enough mm. for you, but then somebody's like, "Yeah, mm. so we're all just monsters." I you don't know? know. I mean, like that's pretty. 
I don't I, think that's, that's probably I, like a girl view. Like I'm probably being very girly with my viewpoint right now. I don't now. know because like I've you know from other people I know who've seen the movie who come from a similar spot. Like actually, you know, didn't take it that way of being called a monster from Black Widow. I mean, I, I think it was more like because I don't think the mon like it, it really just comes into how you interpret the dialogue because I didn't look at it as she's a monster because she can't have children. I think it was more like she's a monster because they've made her into something. I, I, I took it as an extension of the line where she talked about to make killing easier. Like she's a yeah. monster because she's now engineered only to take life instead of in without giving it. And I think that's where I see her seeing herself as a monster. Like if she, cause if she wasn't able to have children, but she didn't spend her whole life as an assassin, she probably doesn't feel like a monster, but because mm -hmm. all she's done is take life, take life, take life, take life over and over and over again and never give life. Then I think that's where, I think that's where her feeling of being a monster comes from. So, and, and, and you know, Katie, it's funny because I kind of got the same idea. I knew what I knew what they were, and I like you. It's like you knew what they were saying wasn't. It wasn't that she was saying that directly, and that wasn't the intent. But that's what it kind of comes off a little bit. It, it it's not the best. I think uh, cl it's it's clear, but it's not super clear either. It's just kind of, it's yeah. just kind of a weird delivery of how she does it and says it. It's it's strange, and I did get that same. The sec it was only the second time. Funny, I thought I thought the same thing. I'm like, well, that's kind of weird what she's <laughs> saying right now. She's a monster because she can't have kids, and and she keeps talking. And you're like, okay, but like her initially saying <laughs> that, it's just kind of like, huh? And then <laughs> and I don't I know. think I think they would do because the the beauty I think in Black Widow's character is she does have these experiences um, in, like, you know, the Red Room and how they do affect her viewpoint. Like, her big thing is more or less redeeming herself, right? Like, that's... Mm -hmm. She's always going to want to atone for these actions. So I agree, like, that's probably where she's coming from. But not everyone who's going to see these movies reads the comics and gets, like, that's, no, that's where true. her guilt comes from. So I think that's part of it, too. I Like, I saw it both ways but the second time it just kind of sat with me funny like if i agreed yeah maybe saw more of what she did as like an assassin then i could see where she's like i'm kind of like this monster and i've had like that i think might have resonated with me more or maybe and i'm gonna bring it up again maybe if we just get a black widow movie there you go <laughs> oh we can and we no, can see I, this happen then when she had problems. these moments they'd be fine <laughs> no i 100 percent agree with you that <laughs> It, it seems like we're just dancing around this issue of a Black Widow movie. And I understand how maybe it doesn't fit in the narrative structure of everything that they want to build to Infinity War. Because certainly a spy story doesn't necessarily build towards right. the more cosmic event that's that's looming. But I agree with you, though. One way or another, there, there ought to be a Black Widow movie. I mean, Disney obviously believes in Scarlett Johansson to have an action franchise with the Ghost in the Shell that they're making with her so i mean it's just why not do this solo black widow movie that so many people would would show up for so we'll keep banging that drum but what do you think of uh romanoff and banner actually real quick though i think one of my i did really like their noir flirting scene at the party though yes. you know the whole fella done me wrong she speech was, was awesome and yeah, i like i was like woo, yeah go, that, girl. that was a pretty awesome dress that she had so i really like yeah. that but uh I think, and I love Cap though, with Cap being being the one to call it out. Like I've seen her flirt, and that's not you know this ain't that. And of course, yeah. Banner being total dude. Well, wh wait a minute, what do you mean up close? <laughs> so totally bought it. But uh, what do you think of Romanoff and Banner, Chris? Well, 
let me echo your sentiments at the end there just by saying I, I would certainly not be crying if they announced The Red Room on Netflix in 2017. I think See, uh, I think there's a little – because I, I about freaked mm. out when, when we saw The Red Room. There is so much narrative potential there to explore with her origins and the – I mean I know in Agent Carter they explored the origins of the Black Widow program a little bit. Which is pretty but cool. That was, yeah, which was awesome. But was, I mean that was more of a precursor to the right. actual Black Widow program. And I think there's a lot of really interesting potential that on an ongoing basis – that they could uh, they could show maybe some of the sins that she's atoning for the red in her ledger that she's trying to get out in something that's a little bit more uh, more I don't know substantial as far as time is concerned. But Black Widow in this movie was real really satisfying to me. I mean, I thought that um, she's already one of the most um, narratively complex characters in mm-hmm. the entire MCU and this movie didn't shy away from that you know th- like just like any ensemble it's really easy to be able to push someone off to the side and I'm continually glad that Black Widow is not the character that's being pushed off to the side uh, there's there's a lot of nuance in the way that Scarlett Johansson speaks her dialogue and you really do feel the weight of what is kind of on her shoulders and has been for a really long time. And it in, in a weird way, even though we don't really have a full view of what she's done to atone for, you feel like, okay, she's she's really she's really trying to make good on her training and use it in a way that her her shapers didn't expect. But what did she do? What the hell could she have done that has created such immense guilt in an obviously really intelligent and capable person? So the the flashback to the Red Room and her explanation of the graduation was really shocking to me. Um, and shocking in a way that, um, you know, with Whedon, you expect, to a degree anyway, you expect him to punch you in the gut a few times. And, um, and and that was one of the ways in which he punched me in the gut in this movie was the uh, the explanation from her point of view of what the red room entailed, and then actually seeing like the target practice on a live person was just yeah. chilling, and um, and and just one of those character moments that I that I really appreciated. Um, I think that. If if there's any problem that I see with Black Widow, it's more it, – it, my problems during the movie were actually kind of resolved by the end of it because by the end of it, she pretty much became the direct lieutenant under Captain America yes. of the Avengers. And that, that I think that was a role that was long overdue. Yep. Agreed. Uh, uh, you know, Iron Man doesn't really have the, the, the deference or the um, – the tactical understanding to actually be kind of a lieutenant. So I was happy to see that she kind of got that promotion and that she, along with Captain America, are the two legacy members that will carry over into the new roster of the Mm -hmm. team. I thought that was a really, really nice touch. Um, But overall, I mean, Scarlett Johansson is one of the absolute best 
additions to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. No doubt. Uh, she totally and, elevates what's on the page. I mean, I think as a performer, she's just able to to deliver this presence on screen that gives the character more depth. And you feel like you know more about her than you've been told just because of what Johansson is able to communicate. Yeah, she has a wisdom beyond her years. Uh over the course of the movies. And that's, uh, it's certainly something that I didn't see coming after walking out of Iron Man two, five years ago. And uh, I'm pretty sure she gained that wisdom by hanging out with Bill Murray in Japan. So (laughs) most likely, but I mean, um, I, I, I didn't really, since I've only seen the movie once, I didn't take away some of the, uh, the problems that Katie had, but I, I kind of, I was so distracted by everything else going on in this movie that, you know, as you guys are probably pretty keenly aware, one viewing is not really enough to be able to completely take in every single line of dialogue for what it is in the moment. Um, but I can certainly see that, you know, when she started flirting with Banner, if you kind of, if you want to call it that, I kind of got the sense as well that there's a little bit of crying wolf since we've seen behavior like this before. Uh, so maybe this isn't exactly on the level for some reason. Maybe she's trying to find something out about the Hulk that uh, we don't know about at this at the earlier point in the movie. But um, as far as like engineering a, a quasi romance between the two. I don't know if it was exactly necessary, yes, but it it provided you. some some decent moments, especially uh, just seeing the the nerdy reaction that I always had in high school. To like, I I was always the guy that my friends had to tell me that someone was flirting with me. I never knew, and seeing kind of a reaction like that from Mark Ruffalo was was fun. But yeah, I mean, I'm not sure if it adds a whole lot to. To the overall narrative, but it did provide kind of a nice moment as the Hulk goes off into the sunset at the end of the movie. But overall, Black Widow was awesome, as usual. Well, Paul, like, let's talk about, before we move on to Hawkeye, let's talk about Hulk a little bit. Oh, I, was, I, was, yeah, I, want, I wanted to, yeah, it's kind of... So, for, for Hulk, um, I mean, well, let's talk a little bit about the end with the Hulk, though, because we've, we've talked a lot about where Banner's at throughout the film, but... I mean, some of the questions I've already got is, did Hulk go off into space uh, at the end of Age of Ultron? And I think they would have shown him being shot off into space if that's what was (laughs) happening. Uh, Because that would just be really weird to be like, you know how we didn't tell you where he went? Well, that was just because we wanted to, we hadn't made up our mind, and now we decided he's in space. But um, Quinjet's got artificial gravity and pressurized everything. They do, probably. Yeah, Yeah, although probably a design flaw to create a stealth mode that even so that you can't even track your own jet. So that way, if anybody steals it, it goes, (laughs) they put it in stealth mode and you can't find your own equipment. Um, Or is that just Tony Stark being a jerk again? It could be. It could Ooh. be. Who knows? Maybe Tony didn't want. Good but call. I don't know. Like Tony and Ban. Like why? Why would Tony not want Banner around? Because he can literally talk Banner into doing whatever Tony wants. I mean, twice Ooh, in this movie, even after good call. even yeah. after it goes bad, he you talks him there. into it. So I, I don't see that happening. Um, now I, I think it just goes into Banner wanting to get away and go to a place where he feels like he can't hurt anyone. Although, if you watch like Agents of Shield, when Nick Fury says he's probably in Fiji, I'm like, why didn't you say Tahiti? Like, why? 
<laughs> but uh, that's just being an MCU nerd. But anyway, Paul, what do you think of this idea of Hulk now at the end of the movie just going off and being away from the team? Well, that's very in character and true to what the Hulk is in the comic books. I mean, Hulk just wants to be left alone. And um, I think that's one of the reasons why, um, you know, or not one of the reasons, but one of the things that they played with the idea of him not joining teams for so long. Um, I mean, he was part of the Avengers for like three issues and he was gone. And then he was part of, part of the, def- the the Defenders, um, which were, they were kind of a ragtag random team anyway. They, they, they you know, almost like they, can get, they could go in and out of different things from the comic books. But for the most part, the Hulk was very hey, stayed by himself. Doctor Strange is coming. Yeah, he is. And so um, it's interesting that um, they're, they're, they're playing with that because I think that's really important to the character. And I think, I think it's important to Bruce Banner that he has to keep going. He can't stay in one spot for too long because Hulk outs, like with the whole huge uh, Hulkbuster Iron Man fight um, that, you know, that, that he caused that happens. And I think that's so important to Bruce Banner because if he finds this, this group of people that they all love him and, and all try to take care of him, and he feels safe, then it, we kind of it just, it doesn't really feel like the Hulk because Bruce Banner feels too comfortable. And he's just like, you know, it, it's not Bruce Banner, the Bruce Banner we know. And I think is the best Bruce Banner is the one who's always afraid. Like Mark Ruffalo gets so he gets so well, he's afraid of hulking out. He's afraid, and, but you can see it all over his face. It's not like, you know, Edward Norton's performance where, you know, he just is like, he's determined. That's, that's the way he kind of came off in the, in the first film. Ruffalo comes off nervous at all times. He's always on edge and he, and, and, and it, but in a very subtle way, you know, and I think he's, he's never comfortable. And I think that's why he's always fidgety. That's why he looks like he's always kind of looking around in the first film and in this film. I think mm-hmm. even when at the bar, he doesn't look like he's always comfortable, you know, and it's not cause he's nervous to talk to black widow. I think that's part of it, but he's just nervous in general. It's just kind of, you know, he's just nervous. But it was guy. great to see him finally get a moment to actually poke a little fun at himself and what everybody thinks when he acted oh. like he was going to Hulk out after not being able to lift the hammer. Yeah, yeah, no, and yeah, see exactly, <laughs> and he makes it so awkward because everyone's like, uh, "Yeah, that's the know? thing is he finally." I felt so bad for him because like this guy know. finally is like ready to like let loose and be like, mm-hmm. "Okay, it's a party. Everybody else is gone. It's just the people who know me. It's just trust, the members exactly. of the team. But trust me." And then I try to make a joke, and everybody's just uncomfortable. So now it's like, "Okay, I guess I'll go back to see, being and awkward." That's ex- and see exactly, and that's why I feel it's important they did this. Actually, it's one, I think it's one of the better parts with Bruce Banner in this film and the Hulk, because it, again, Hulk is not going to stay an Avenger forever. It's just, it's just not in his character, and it wouldn't make sense that Bruce Banner would stay in, in this because he's going to because the Hulk is a, a a time bomb. He's not. And that's what he is. He's. It's not a matter of pointing at the right direction and he'll do something. It's. It's when. He'll just get set off and distracted, and then all of a sudden he'll turn into something else that he can't control, and that's what he has to live with. And I feel that they did a great job in this film really explaining that through everything. So I felt the Hulk, even though he wasn't put on display as heroic, in, in, the, in, the, in the right way, of course, and, it, and because of that, it wasn't as cool or he wasn't as a prominent member um, in this film, I still feel he was he was used correctly, and he was it was fantastic. It just wasn't the same. He wasn't the breakout character. He w- didn't really continue that breakout succession. Well, as, you can't keep breaking out. I mean, well, you, but, you break out break once, out. and that's it. Well, I say breakout. I mean, like he keeps getting like you keep elevating the characters. Yeah. Or 
I guess what I'm trying to say. But he didn't really do that necessarily, but it kept the same pace, which is I think is just as, as important. Yeah. So um but I he feel did have he, some he did have some really cool Hulk out action beats. Like oh, him, yeah. him taking oh, out the bunker in the opening scene was great. And I loved the big, huge, just superhero like comic book porn that you oh. get. Uh, with all the Avengers oh. fighting Ultron yes. sentries at the end, he is biting the head off of one of Ultron sentries. I thought was just amazing. Was, like they got, got a, they got a big laugh in both times yeah. I saw it. So, oh man, like just it, it, such good like freaking hulking out in this movie. <laughs> well, and that that's the thing, and that's what we have to get. And the Hulk, and again in every film, and they've been very good about showing that Hulk doesn't care who he is around he'll attack and fight anyone he's not he's not banner is not in control and that's the thing for the most part so the fact we have a hulk out of against his his good buddy iron man that you know that whole sequence was i mean i knew it was going to be good and i'm glad i avoided all the scenes that i oh, saw yeah. the hulk and hulkbuster fight yeah the hulkbuster yeah, fight was fantastic awesome. god that was talk about you know superhero porn i mean that to me was just like Oh my gosh! I mean, that that I was yeah. gushing. I mean that totally. That. Yeah, that totally lived up to it. I mean, from the very first time you saw it in the trailer. Mm-hmm. Although, I mean, we knew it before. That was like the very first thing that they shot, and or one of the first things that they shot. I mean, obviously there was nothing there because there is no Hulkbuster armor and there is no Hulk. So it's just don't, cars don't being break that illusion for me. Yeah, cars just being <laughs> thrown around. Well, they did have uh, no because I remember from that set though they did have like the Hulkbuster like fist, and that's how people knew that that's what was oh, going yeah. on. So, um, yeah, it was just. I mean, that scene was incredible, and Joss Whedon being the genius that he is naming like the that whole containment thing plus the hulkbuster that whole operation naming it veronica because it's an archie comic reference because hulk's always been in love with betty um i thought was just i i, I knew there was i didn't get that that's really i crazy. only yeah i didn't get it when i first watched it but then it was it was at the press conference the next day when somebody asked him uh, asked joss Whedon why is it called veronica and he told it was a reference to betty and veronica from the archie comics but i just thought that was such that's awesome. Totally like a Joss Whedon masterstroke right there. Like yeah, only he is. would think of that. And I think it was just uh it was a really, really great superhero fight. And I thought it did such such an amazing job of, you know, having a lot of intense action, but it was also kind of funny. Maybe you could have pulled a couple of jokes in that sequence, but no, overall very perfect. funny. And I, I love that I mean, the go to sleep bit is just oh. classic. And Hulk spitting out a tooth. I think is rad. Like, <laughs> and, and totally that was incredible. If that was like an actual thing, like I totally would have snagged that tooth. Like there's just no, <laughs> no way. I'm sorry. Uh, that, <laughs> I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> that was, yeah, that was just the ultimate. I, I, I loved it. Well, let's, um, let's move on to, we got a lot to get through. So we'll try to move through here. We got Hawkeye next and going to be probably one of the biggest points of contention in this film amongst Marvel fans. I have no doubt about that. But before we get to uh, Clint Barton and family, I just got to say that in a movie that has Captain America, I was pleasantly surprised that Hawkeye got what I thought was the best speech. When he talks to Scarlet Witch and he goes through the whole thing of the city is flying, the city is flying, we're fighting an army of robots, and I have a bow and arrow. None of this makes any sense. Uh, and that, but then he gets serious, and he says, you know, "I'm going to go out there because it's my job." And then he tells Scarlet Witch, "No matter with all that's happened, no matter what you've done, you know, if you step out that door and if you fight, you are an Avenger." And I just loved it. I mean, I was inspired. I was ready to step out the door and just start punching things. Like it was just, I was fired up 
after Hawkeye's speech. So, I mean, everything else almost didn't even matter at that point. Like, I just, I loved, loved, loved that speech. And I loved it even more, but I'll talk about that. I'll save that part for when we discuss uh, Scarlet Witch in a little bit. But that speech was just on point. And I really liked Hawkeye's place in this movie overall. Um, he just, they really played up the, they first up played up the idea that he was the most likely character to die. They, Joss Whedon just went after that. Everybody assumes that I'm going to kill Hawkeye because he's the normal guy in the team. He's the one we know the least about. And they, and he, they went through like every trope that you could to set up. And a, he's a the guy that death. always dies in the Avengers. Right. So that too. So, I mean, you, But even just from normal, like, movie tropes of how you set up a character who's going to die, the whole, well, going on my last mission. Oh, yeah. I got a project to finish at the house when I get back. I got, and then. Damn, two days from retirement. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And when, well, or when they're saving, when it looks like all the civilians are, um, are on board to go to the, the helicarrier, then, like, he's, he sees the one, he sees the little kid. And he just puts his head down like, well, there it is, you know, like, and he just accepts it and he goes to save the kid anyway. Like they, they set that up brilliantly. I'll save the, the other end of that for Quicksilver, but I thought all of that was great as far as the, but let's get to the family thing. I liked it. I liked it. And I'm surprised that I liked it because I've, I've said multiple times on this show or on modern myth media how much I would love, love, love a Matt Fraction-inspired Hawkeye like Netflix series. Um, I don't know that Renner would do it, but I would love it. This absolutely kills that, but I can't blame Whedon for killing something that wasn't, that probably wasn't going to exist anyway. That's true. So it's you know I can't fault him for that. But I liked it because if there was one member of the Avengers who would have this secret life and secret family it would be Hawkeye. And I think what's great about the whole family thing is it actually reflects what he is on the team. He's the normal guy. He is the normal guy with no superpowers. He doesn't even necessarily have this uh, tragic, ugly backstory that Black Widow has. He really is just kind of a, you know, a dude who's really good with a bow and arrow. And his family life is also painfully normal, just like Hawkeye is. So I... I actually enjoyed that and I felt that was a proper kind of manifestation of his character. So it's, uh, it made sense to me for, for that character specifically, even if maybe it's not, uh, like it is in the comic books, it fits this world. It fits the way this per this person has been characterized up until this point, And I, I really enjoyed it. So, and like I All said, right. even if I didn't like it, there were so many other cool Hawkeye moments and he also has one of the funniest moments in the film when he, like, he's going to kill Quicksilver. <laughs> Nobody would know. No. Nobody yeah, I would know. I miss him already. I know. I miss him already. Huh? <laughs> Quick little bastard. <laughs> <Just> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. So, here, okay. So, Sean, I, I, this is one of the first things I talked to Sean about post my first viewing of, of you know, Age of Ultron. And I remember even telling him, you know, I said to him that I need to see it again because I think there's some things I'll like better better the second time, and I know that. But there are some things I know I don't care how many times I see it, I'm gonna freaking hate it, and this is one of them. Now, I've got many reasons why I hate this, and one is of, of course the classic. This is not part of the comic books, and and you know, <laughs> and, and that's that plays a part in it. It's not the only or the biggest part though. I'll start with that first because. 
Marvel Zombie, and that's how I roll. So first well, look, of all, it's fair. Like, and I I know like I want to slightly like which is weird because i disagree with you on this but i want to defend you on that like (laughs) okay well because the marvel cinematic universe i think more so than any set of superhero movies or any set of you know well it is the only shared universe right now until another one gets going next year but more than anything else i mean i think it's done a great job of keeping to the spirit of the comics and being very faithful to the characters and it's only made minimal uh, departures, I think there have been departures for sure, but it's been less in the MCU compared to other superhero movie franchises. So you can't, uh, you know, you can't give the fans exactly what they're looking for from the comics, but then not expect some fans to not like it when you go a different direction from the comic book. So it's not unfair for you to, you know, have a. It's not like the comics criticism. I mean, yes, it's funny to do it with the little voice there, but it, it's a, it is a legitimate criticism. No, yeah, and, and here's the thing. Like, people who don't know the comics, you know, Hawkeye is a womanizer in the comics. He is known to be the a-hole guy, the classic pig-headed guy. He uses women, and it's a problem that he has. He, you know, it's just it's, – it's a reoccurring theme with him that he just cannot settle down. And he's, it's like, you know, so basically they've made Hawkeye the exact opposite of what I knew of Hawkeye, you know, growing up. Even as a kid, I even knew Hawkeye was a little bit of a jerk. He wasn't always nice. He's arrogant. Um, and he just got on a lot of people's nerves. This is not that Hawkeye, which is fine. I have because yeah, they kind of already had the arrogant womanizer with Tony Stark. And exactly. Now he's no, he's less that, womanizer, yeah. but still totally arrogant. So I get no. why they wouldn't want Hawkeye to be that guy totally in the MCU. Totally get it. And I, and I, I and people know I know both with the characterization and with the actual costumes. You cannot take literal translations all the time from panel to screen. I get it. I have no problem with that. You know, it's this it's a dramatic 180 is this really jarring for me that really starts it. First of all, it makes it go knocks one notch against it. I'm like, okay, I don't like this. Now, here's the other reasons why I freaking hate this part and aspect of this film. So I'm watching this. And as soon as they show this, I looked at the guy, um, my friend Jim, who we uh, said was the first showing with. I looked over him and I said, no freaking way <laughs> and he we both just kind of like looked at each other like no and he, he's a huge comic book fan and we're watching this and and like i realized i'm like this can't no and i so they start they start they reveal the kids the wife and i and i it, something just hit me in the middle of nowhere they have no electricity and i and it just came flooded right back to me and if people remember this part a little film that came out in 1990 called the teenage mutant ninja turtles and if you remember, there's a part where they get their butts kicked by the Foot Clan, and then they go to April O'Neil's safe That's house. That's true. <laughs> and they oh, wow. all hang out and lick their wounds. And I said, are you freaking kidding me? We're getting the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles part <laughs> in the Avengers. Are you kidding me? And I seriously, guys, I am, I am 100% serious. Because my blood is kind of boiling right now. My blood pressure has kind of gone up. It went way up when I saw that. And I was – so you had the fact you're taking Hawkeye, a complete 180, and you're basically borrowing from the 1990 Ninja Turtles film. Well, it's not just that though. I mean this is – Ninja Turtles didn't the, didn't invent the heroes lose and go to the remote location for some soul searching. Like they – that's – pretty 
classic that's a pretty classic well, movie trope sure. but and and i think it fit for this team like they got their asses handed to them in africa like they and not just in a physical standpoint they just mentally got twisted up so i i get it i mean i understand I, I, why but i will say at least like the house is fairly reminiscent of the Ninja Turtles. It, it, yes. <laughs> and and I, I, I expected almost to have some like Steve, you know, Roger start drawing, you know, <laughs> pictures of everyone and go, Scott, or he says that, uh, you know, Natasha Romanoff's feeling a lot, you know, there really should have been like now. with Hawkeye's kids, there should have been like, like a crayon drawing on the table of a Ninja Turtle. That there had, just... there had to be something because it was, it was, I just was like, are you kidding me? And so at first I thought, wait a minute, maybe this is all staged. Maybe this is like, um, you know, if, and I'm bringing people way back here. Back when Heroes uh, Heroes Reborn happened, Rob Liefeld and uh, Jeff Loeb had started writing um, the, his you know Captain America run, where Captain America had a wife and kids, and they were all end up being uh, LMD agents. And you know, it was something set up by Nick Fury. So when Nick Fury shows up with Tony Stark after Hawkeye's wife says, Oh, can you have the tractor? I went, Oh, I'd be so rad. If this is actually just a play by like Nick Fury. These are all LMDs. Uh, no. And I was <laughs> like, no. So for me, it just, it takes the film out completely. Like there's, I mean, you, I, I would, I could just think of so many cooler ideas for a, a shield safe house. And they use like a Ninja Turtles reference essentially. And it's just like, it just threw me out completely of the film in uh, in the universe, and I, I hated it. I that's probably the thing that r I really just one of the biggest things I hate in the Marvel universe, cinematic universe ever is that whole scene and the whole part of the film. I think it's awful, awful, awful. Well, Katie, you, you mentioned it as some. You mentioned there were things that you loved and hated about Age of Ultron. Was Hawkeye and family one of the things you hated, like Paul? Yes, <laughs> I, I think you go, I feel girl. I feel better Chris, about I'm, it. I'm like Road Dog, and you better be Billy Gunn. I'm coming to you in a hot tag when, for a hot tag when Katie's done here. Like Paul, like I knew after seeing this film that Paul was the person I needed a text so that we could. <laughs> we I did. did. I was like, "What did you think? Let's disagree or let's agree about all these things we didn't like." Um, I, you know, here's the thing: I'm surprised by how much I didn't like the Hawkeye secret family thing. Because I'm not someone, I I haven't been reading Marvel comics as as long as you guys have, and I don't think I feel the connection to them when I see it on the big screen in terms of like, oh man, this is like straight from the comics, or they got this right. Like, there's some things I appreciate. Um, well, I think so, with everyone, it's just kind of this thing of like you mind certain things and you don't mind others. And it's different for everybody, just depending on kind of like you're saying, like how attached you are to that specific character or that specific beat for that specific character. Yeah. And so I think for me, um, like you were saying, Sean, the Matt Fraction run has just, when, you know, when it comes out has been fantastic. Well, like, yeah, like that's become my Hawkeye in like the last yeah. two, three years. And like you said, I would I would kill for just like this show of him kind of being like this like broken man yeah. trying to just like piece together something like not even his life. Yeah, I don't just think, like no the lovable loser who actually is a hero. Yeah, who just like stumbles into these things. And so I think it wasn't so like I didn't even expect it. It's like when I saw the family thing, I it wasn't that was like my first thought. It was just like I this isn't my Hawkeye. It was the first time I really felt like, oh, that's just not 
that's not my Hawkeye. Like, it's not. And I think that was one of the things that once I saw it the second time and, like, I knew that's where they were going, you know, I liked, I like seeing, too, like, um, he is the, he is the everyman. You know, he's probably the person that you can identify you know, as a human, like you said, like, he's the one that you expect to die. He's the one that, like, of course, he would just have this secret life. And, like, he just goes off from 9 to 5 and avenges. Like, that's, yeah. his, that's his job. It was a pretty good line for his wife to say, you know, I support your avenging. Yeah. Like, it, and I liked that yeah. out of everyone, he told Natasha. And that, mm-hmm. like, she's part of the family. Because I think that was the other thing for me is with Natasha and Clint, I... It's not so much that, like, as they would say, like, I ship them together. I just felt like the Marvel Universe was on this, like, trajectory. And this movie mm-hmm. tore apart a lot of the things that they'd been setting up for so many movies. I guess. Does that make sense? Like, you feel like they have this shared background history. And then, like, he has the secret family. And she's, like, you know, making the moves on Bruce. And I just was... Well, not I, I liked it because it, it solidified their relationship as always having been a friendship. And yeah. I like that it showed it as something that was just it's str- nuts. that it was strictly Ugh. well okay well like you could you could talk about anti nat whatever but like just as far as the relationship between Barton and Romanoff I like that it was always a friendship so that way I agree with that so that I way you can show that. that not every relationship that Natasha has with men is flirty or romantic like they're like she's actually able to have a platonic relationship with just. Hawkeye, who is, for all intents and purposes, outside of being awesome with a bow and arrow and a shield agent, like a fairly normal dude, um, and they're just pals. Like, and, and I liked that because when you hint at their backstory, like you and I remember Budapest very differently, and you see how like <laughs> Natasha reacts when she finds out that Barton's been compromised in the Avengers. It almost seems She's like there's an arrow necklace. In yeah, it always seems like there's like this maybe old romantic connection between them and you get the I, I think this movie strongly implies that it's it's never been that. It's always been uh just a, a straight up friendship, which I liked a lot for what that would say about both characters, but especially Natasha. Yes. So I think I think that was one of the things that upon seeing it the second time, I calmed down a little bit because like like you said, then you're, okay, so they've been friends the whole time. So then on the flip side, her being in a romantic relationship with Bruce feels a little bit more legitimate because everything that we've seen before in terms of flirting was maybe just like that harmless friendship that sometimes mm-hmm. you kind of, you know. And then it I think it also plays up to later moments in the film where you see like he keep you know where's Natasha like where's Nat do you have yes. her she's safe like because that's I can honestly imagine like if Hawkeye came home and like something had happened to Natasha like his wife would probably kick his ass like mm-hmm. <laughs> he's probably more afraid of that than like his own life because his wife would just be like how dare you how exactly. could you do that so I, I liked that I, and I liked that it showed that even though he's like this everyman and he wanted to keep it secret, that at least there's someone on the team he trusts. And I like that, as you said, he did get, I think, some of the best dialogue in the movie. Yes, mm-hmm. he did. Like, he did. He did. Like, his his jokes, and I, I liked that, you know, 
we finally got to see them elevated because not everyone's going to get a solo movie. Not everyone's going to have like right. all these big parts. And so that's okay. But I like that then the people who aren't getting solo movies like Black Widow or Hawkeye are getting these elevated moments in the film and we get their backstory mm-hmm. And we do get to see, like, his sense of humor because, like you said, the part where he's like, no one would know. That was great. That might be – That brilliant. I, I might have laughed harder at that than anything else in the film. And that's what I mean when I say I think this movie is better balanced as an ensemble piece than the first one because even though, yeah, the main plot line is generated by Tony Stark with Ultron, I felt like the the best and, like, the greatest character moments were with other people in this movie, and I thought that was really necessary and really strong. I mean, it's easy to just make this movie and and, say, and focus on Iron Man, focus on Cap, because they do really well selling their own solo movies, but to to your point, like, Hawkeye, probably not going to get a solo movie, gets a lot of great moments in this one, and gets one of the, some of the most backstory, like, love it or hate it, I think what I... I what I end up liking about it is that Hawkeye now goes from just being, you know, he's really now like a genuine character in this story as opposed to just being the dude with the bow and arrow. So I like that with Hawkeye and, and I think Scarlet Witch, like, and I already mentioned, you know, Black Widow, although she still should absolutely get her own solo movie, but yes. all these characters who've not had their own movies and maybe will, and some of them are probably highly unlikely to get their own solo movies. Like, they get some of the best moments, and that's why I think this one achieves uh, a better balance. But so I'm like stumbling to the corner now. I'm like crawling as Road Dog. Here's your hot tag, Billy Gunn, aka Chris Plow. <laughs> or is this going to be the one where like I reach out for the tag and you pull your hand away and you jump off the apron and walk to the back? Am I on my no, own? No, no, am I on my own side? Come am to I, the good side. Yeah, am I on my yes. own liking Hawkeye's backstory and family? Reality here? side. Well, so you guys mentioned that your Hawkeye, at least right now, is kind of defined by Matt Fraction's run. No, Mine, not, my, not completely. But not okay, somewhat. not you, but but Sean. I would, say, said I would say like strongly informed by, but not okay. dominated yes. by. Yes. So mine comes from a different place because right around a couple months after the Thor movie came out, and when it became clear that Hawkeye was going to. Uh, show up in the MCU in a pretty definitive way. Um, you know, my conception of the Marvel Cinematic Universe from the very beginning was that it was more of a hy- hybridized version, taking from the comics, but also taking a lot from the Ultimate Universe. And a lot of my Hawkeye actually comes from the limited series Ultimate Comics Hawkeye, written by Jonathan Hickman, where he does have a family. So I wasn't really surprised as much by this. I just sort of went like, oh, okay, that's the direction they're going in. It wasn't offensive to me, and it didn't really uh, push any preconceived notions of Hawkeye that I had out of the window. I actually really like Ultimate Comics Hawkeye as a limited series. It did an excellent job of explaining why he's an exceptional archer by kind of making him a mutant to a degree. And they haven't done anything like that in the MCU, even though I kind of think they should. But um, stop it. The concept of him. Oh, oh, come on, man! It's a great <laughs> explanation about like his eyes have three or three or four hundred times as many cones <laughs> as a typical human eye. That's incredible. Anyway, but, continue. So the concept of him having a family seemed kind of natural to me, and. Since he got the short shift in the first Avengers film, it also seemed very natural that 
his development go in kind of a different direction. So as much as I love the Matt Fraction series, which I do, I mean, who doesn't love Pizza Dog? Uh, <laughs> Pizza the Dog. the yes. Jonathan Hickman Ultimate Comics Hawkeye series was one of the things that actually really um, surprised me when it initially came out. And it conceived Hawkeye in a very similar fashion to the way that the movies are. Uh, he's a little bit more ruthless in the Ultimate Universe, especially in that first Ultimate series. But the Avengers is sort of where the Ultimate Universe seeps into the MCU quite a bit more. I agree. And um, so it seemed pretty natural that they take that approach. I mean, thankfully, this, it's not Ultimate Captain America that's on display in, in these Avengers movies. Thank God for that. But um, as far as some of the other satellite characters, of which Hawkeye is one since he doesn't have his own solo franchise and then he's not and since he's not really appearing in many other places but these and in Civil War, it's, it, it, it seemed okay to me. And, um, you know, Jonathan Hickman is absolutely one of my favorite comic book writers. So I don't think Whedon is inspired necessarily by what Hickman did in that series or even necessarily not too much of what Mark Miller did in the, the first couple of Ultimate series. But... Um, it's it it seemed like a natural extension of something that had previously been established in the comics before and it seemed like fair game to me so i found the familial stuff uh, pleasantly surprising and it seemed like out of all of the characters and what we know of them going into age of ultron hawkeye seems like a, the perfectly viable candidate to have an entirely other life that we don't have any conception of. Completely. So it, it, I mean, it, 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 if I had a bit more of an investment on maybe classic Marvel universe, Hawkeye, then I might be feeling different about it. But because I came into the Marvel, I, I've only really consistently been reading Marvel comics for the past eight years. It was really, you know, Brubaker's only. Captain America that pushed me, <laughs> On, into well, that, it's it's but it's not very long as far as the seventy-five plus year history of the characters and 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 the and, yeah, I guess. and the company's concerned, or the his the you know the legacy of the continuity and everything. That's kind of recent stuff. So as far as the recent stuff is concerned, it seemed like this version of Hawkeye is kind of in line with what I already know from other places in the Marvel Comics publication library. So I was fine with it, and I thought that it added um, some unique stuff to the movie that would not have been there otherwise. Let's move on to Thor, God of Thunder. Um, I think what I probably my favorite moment with Thor though is his reaction to Cap budging the hammer during the yeah. party scene was that great. Was the best. Just the horror on his face, and then the relief when Cap can't actually lift it. I thought was was perfect. Um, and then, of course, his reaction to Vision actually being successful at it later, I thought was classic. Thor had some good comedy beats in this one, but he also had my favorite Thor action beats. Like, I think there's some spots in here that just totally blew away the Thor action stuff that we've seen in his solo films and even in the first uh, Avengers film, except for maybe uh, some some scenes in the Battle of New York, a couple spots in the Battle of New York and maybe a little bit of his fight with the Hulk, but... There was just some great stuff. Like that opening uh, action sequence, that huge tracking shot, like there's a couple things. Like he just does a front kick to a dude in the chest and the guy just takes off flying, I thought was amazing. Um, and uh, in addition to that, like I said, you know, 
yes, we talked about the shield, but the other part of those combos was the hammer, and I loved it. The bit with the tank when they're saying, like, they're lining up, and Thor just strikes the shield because they remember what that does from their uh, encounter in the first film, and it just blows up a freaking tank. Or Thor, or Cap, uh, or I guess, no, Thor kicked up Cap's shield, and then just the way he just baseball, you know, swings like a baseball bat and just smacks the... Smacks it into I don't know how many of Ultron's little sentry bots. All that stuff was good. There was a lot of good Thor stuff in here. But when I talk about my main criticism of Avengers Age of Ultron, it comes right down to Thor. And I didn't mind. I I actually liked the vision that he had with the Scarlet Witch, especially because he didn't even realize he'd been manipulated. You know, thinking that, well, you could do that to a mere mortal, but fortunately I am mighty. And then he all of a sudden he's on Asgard and Heimdall's got these dead white eyes all of that started out great all of that started out really intriguing and interesting but then it just was it, it just ended up being undercooked for me like he takes off because he's got to figure out what's going on with this vision because he's been he's been told now by Heimdall in this dream state that Thor is the one who leads everybody to death which is a great tease for Thor Ragnarok and that it's good for setting that up but the problem is, if you're going to do that in this movie, then you need to do more with it. If you're going to include it, you've got to develop that aspect of the story. Because I think Joss Whedon has talked about like the original cut for this movie being three hours, and now it's been cut down to maybe a little less than like two and a half. And I got to think that one of the biggest sections of this movie that got cut was this part with Thor. Because it's very fragmented. Thor has his vision... And then they show up to Hawkeye's house. It's like, why did he even go to Hawkeye's house? I mean, he could just to go break Legos and then take off. I mean, the guy could have just left from uh, where they were in Africa. But he takes off. Then he rocks the hoodie to find Selvig. And then he goes splashing around in a puddle. And now he knows everything. And, I mean, I get it. Cosmic things happen. And, and I'm normally pretty good at suspending my disbelief when it comes to these things. Because this is a crazy cosmic Marvel universe on film that we're watching. But... I, I just felt like there needed to be a little more setup here or or a willingness on Marvel's part to maybe say, look, maybe we don't set up all of this right now. Maybe we set up some of it, but then we we save a little bit more. I mean, it is kind of they set it up in a way where it is kind of intricate to the plot because Thor has to be the one who knows that what Vision's got rocking on his forehead is the Mind Stone that came from Loki's scepter. So there's important things that come out of it. So it, I don't totally disagree with it being there, but it just needed to be developed better and be a little bit tighter. Because when I talked about in the opening in the non-spoiler section of, you know, when this story gets stretched and the seams start to show and even start to tear, this is where I start seeing those tears. I mean, I liked a lot. I liked a lot of what they were trying to do with it because I like I love setting up Ragnarok and I love setting up Infinity War and I love you know confirming that what Loki had in the scepter was the Mind Stone all along. All of those things are great ideas, and I like seeing them in the movie, but it's just the way that it's all brought together that I think falls short. Yeah, I, th I think that um, Thor, you know, he had some great action beats. I felt he was the kind of the most, he was he, like his, he was part of the mess, the, the greater mess that I think this film had. He, you know, as soon as he left the team, I just kind of, I was really confused and I felt they really needed like, like you said, Sean to set up Ragnarok and they also need to set up the fact that someone in the Avengers needed to know about the infinity gems and mm -hmm. they did it in a really sloppy way. 
and it just did not work for well, me. So I'm with and you. And Thor that. already knows the Infinity Stones because, like, if you if I go back to MCU continuity, Volstag and Sif call the Ether an Infinity Stone. Like when they go yeah. visit the Collector. Now, granted, not everybody has seen Thor: The Dark World, so you don't. But you can you can basically introduce that this is something that Thor already knows and understands as guardians would know and understand that hey this is like this is something that he could have already figured out without having to do the whole selvig thing uh that could have uh simplified it but i i think what happened is like i really think there's like a huge chunk of this that's just like sitting in an editing bay in burbank like where they just they had it and then it wasn't playing the well they uh, as well as they wanted it to, so they just cut down to the bare minimum that they needed to in order for the whole bit with with vision to make sense. But I, I just think on a, a script level, that's where this probably should have been called out and fixed to be like, well, let's have Thor just recognize something, you know, that would be part of the Infinity Stones because as Guardians would have, you know, this is an ancient race, an ancient culture, they would know more about these things, just like the Asgardians know about the convergence and these other big cosmic things that have happened in the MCU. And we know, like I said, from Dark World, that they already know what Infinity Stones are. They call it out. So Thor could have just brought that kind of on his own without necessarily having to go on his little mini adventure with Selvig. And we know stuff was cut out because the the per the, there's that actress in the very first trailer that we thought was Adora Milaje from Black Panther in Wakanda, but that would have ha- that actually had to do with Ragnarok because she was standing in front of that little pool that Thor went and splashed around in. So there was a bigger piece to this that is just kind of sitting there, and I, so I don't know. I've I've seen online the rumors of getting an extended edition with uh on the blu-ray marvel's never done an extended edition they do deleted scenes but not an actual extended cut of a film so i'm wondering if they'll actually do that or not but hopefully we at least get deleted scenes to see more of of where this was going but regardless this is what's in theaters now and that's you know have to call it like i see it as i see it and you know this one while i loved a lot of stuff that was going on with thor and he was a lot of fun in this movie i felt like his little subplot just as i said undercooked and I'll take the silence as no objections from Chris or Katie. So let's move on. Um, well, let me let me let me no, just quickly let me just quickly say that you know with Thor in this movie, you know how well. So I think in political terms all the time because that's just my major personality flaw. But so if uh, if all the other Avengers showed up in this movie to vote yay or nay, and Ultron showed up to vote a massive nay. Thor just kind of voted present, you know. Yeah. He, he didn't. He, he didn't. He didn't really well, have. He, he did have a enough. strong nay in the beginning when he's choking Tony Stark, but. Well, sure, but I mean, as far as like his impact on the overall yeah. movie, I don't come away from Age of Ultron thinking that wow, Thor had some really great moments just by himself, you know. Well, and they kind they the tried re- to give him yeah. that. I mean, he is the reason that Vision exists because you know Quicksilver uh-huh. had pulled the plug and. Thor delivers the lightning strike that finishes the process of creating the vision. But I agree with you. Like, I think that's where I just wanted, rather than Thor show up, like I would rather have seen Thor in the debate and then just say, screw you earthlings. You don't know what you're meddling with. Zap. (laughs) Like, here's this guy. So I think I would have liked to seen a little more than that. Like, Thor's vision could have all happened in his Scarlet Witch dream state. Like, all of it could have just happened there. 
and yeah. it could have enlightened him based on his prior knowledge of Asgard. He didn't have to go off on this adventure. And I, and I think if they had it to write the script over again, I think they might actually change that because I think they it was too late to do it because they had already filmed all this other stuff and they just had to cut out, you know, make a cut of what they had. But this is probably something that I, I think they... I, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, Whedon and some the other team behind this movie might think that this is something they would take back. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, it just... He uh, he had some, some cool action beats and everything, but the efficiency of storytelling wasn't really there for Thor, and right. his impact on the movie was kind of limited. Yeah, and if anything, it was too efficient. Like, there wasn't enough there. Like, it was quick, but mm-hmm. too quick. And uh, But I, I will say this, where I have confidence, though, is it's like, okay, you've shown just how awesome Thor can be as an action character, so please tell me that that's really where you're going to up the ante in Ragnarok. Like, just, you know, we started to see Thor yeah. unleashed a little bit in this movie, but we've really got to see it in, in Ragnarok, and I, I hope that's what to, it means, is, like, everything's just going to go to all kinds of hell and all different layers of hell in Ragnarok. So hopefully it's a, a sign of... Uh, Better things to come for that character. So finishing up the characters that we know, let's go back to our, our former or maybe now current again S.H.I.E.L.D. agents of Nick Fury and Maria Hill. Real quick on Maria Hill. Better in this one for Kobe Smulders than she was in the first Avengers film in which she's probably my, one of my bigger knocks on that film. And But I, she's passable in it. Like, she's fine in this. I can kind of enjoy her a little bit, but I, I still am bothered by the, just not seeing Maria Hill the way I see her in the comics like i still don't see the strength of that character in what's being put on screen so i'm i'm missing that a little bit as far as nick fury it was good to have him back i like the whole helicarrier bit i think my one of my favorite parts of that though is that the the shield tech who had like one of the best moments in captain america the winter soldier is on that helicarrier shot so Huge. I mean, that's why I had already seen the movie. And when we did the cap commentary last week, that's why I said, keep an eye on that guy. Because like when I saw him again, I was like, oh, no way. That's perfect. Uh, (laughs) You know, he had one of the defining moments, really. I mean, with just this no name character, it had an absolute defining moment in Captain America, the Winter Soldier. And I loved it seeing him in here. And as far as where Nick Fury would go and get the helicarrier, I think some of that's informed by Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. There's, we haven't seen all of it yet, but there's a ton of things going on like behind the scenes. It wouldn't surprise me that Nick Fury was able to scrap together a helicarrier and find some crew to go ahead and get the thing going. Like Total Nick Fury move that he would have more going on than he's alluded to. So none of that bothers me or anything. And I really liked it. So And he got to pay off at the end the uh, one of the great running jokes of the whole movie that started with the language line from cap and then when cap finally has his own potty mouth and nick fury gets to go oh kiss your mother with that mouth i loved it so that was a great uh joke throughout the movie but and having nick fury paid off at the end was good but it was great to see nick fury back like i it wouldn't uh i don't know if it would have felt totally right as an avengers movie without nick fury having some presence so Overall, liked those characters, but I still want to see more out of Maria Hill. So I hope that she, when she chooses a side in Civil War, I hope she does so really emphatically. Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, Fury, Fury, Fury's role in uh, in the Avengers movies has been very pronounced, and you know, coming off of Winter Soldier, especially, I wasn't really sure how they were going to be using him and you know the last time that we saw him in agents of shield it seemed like he was going to be pretty content to fade into the back but 
it, this, these moments in Age of Ultron were actually really satisfying for me. And it's not like they were, especially when he showed up on the farm, it's not like it was some big, massive, revelatory thing when he shows up. I mean, no. if any, I mean, he, the only revelation is to the members of the team that don't know he's still alive, I suppose. But um, no, I was, I was just, it was, it was great to see Fury again. I mean, it's always just like, his presence is like putting on an old comfortable pair of shoes. You know, he was there at the beginning and in these big moments you expect him to be there. And I just loved how he showed up at the end and same with Maria Hill. I mean, it makes sense that she's still at his side with this conception of the character. So it it was, it was great to see them both again, doing what they needed to do. And uh, when the helicarrier showed up, that was one of the more genuine surprises that I had Mm -hmm. when I saw the movie. Yeah, and it was triumphant, too. I mean, I I really, I loved it. And it was great to see, you know, that line of Quicksilver saying, this is S.H.I.E.L.D. and Cap says, this is what S.H.I.E.L.D.'s supposed to be. I mean, I I thought that was great. I mean, S.H.I.E.L.D. definitely got dragged through the mud over Captain America, the Winter Soldier, and then much of this season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. So I really dug that bit. Now let's start talking about the new characters in this film. And I'm going to start with Scarlet Witch because I love her. Let me say this again. I love her. Elizabeth Olsen just rocked it in this movie. And Joss Whedon, from a writing perspective, of course, did what he does with his strong female characters. But it was a just a great performance aided by the excellent writing from Whedon. And I love... I love this character on on a whole other level. When I watched it um, on Thursday night, opening night, I went and I took my my niece and my nephews to see the movie. And my niece is uh, 14 years old. She's been kind of getting into Marvel over the past few years because of the movies, and especially since I'm around, that gives her all the more reason to to get into it because um, I'm always talking about it and taking them to taking the kids to see the movies. And uh, earlier this year for her birthday, I got her a Marvel Unlimited Plus subscription. So she's got her own name on her own card showing that she's a you know, bona fide Marvel fan. But, uh, you know, she certainly loves the, the female heroes. And when Hawkeye gave that speech and he told Scarlet Witch, you are an Avenger, like my niece just like, cl- like apl- silently applauds to herself, um, you know, because she loved that moment so much. And seeing how much that meant to her, you know, it it even got me emotional how much it meant to her and how much I know a character like Scarlet Witch would mean to a lot of girls or a lot of women who watch this movie because it's not like Black Widow serves everybody, you know, who watches it. I mean, the as men or boys, like we have tons of male characters to choose from on the Avengers. Like there's several that we can choose from as who's our favorite, which ones we relate to the most, which ones we identify with. And not every girl is going to be able to identify with Black Widow in her, you know, skin tight black cat suit. Like Scarlet Witch is kind of more of a an outsider, for lack of a better term. She's even a bit of a weirdo. And you know, I think there's other girls that you know that like that approach to it, you know, or might consider that character more relatable. Not so much for being weird, just for being an alternative to to Black Widow. And that there's kind of now a choice on the Avengers team for for girls as far as which one might be their favorite or which one they uh, relate to more. So I really loved that. And I, I think that it was but more than that, like it wouldn't work if just because the character's present and as an alternative option that that alone doesn't make it work. It's because the character was so good. And uh, the backstory was great. The the horrifying story of you know, why they're mad at, at Tony Stark of having to stare at, at a shell for two days that, that has his name on it that is waiting to go off and kill them with her and her uh, brother Pietro. Like, I I mean, I was, I was hooked on their story from there. 
but I really was into Scarlet Witch, especially when she went full on hero mode. I, I think when she steps out and you see her powers and casting her spells and doing all the hex powers that Scarlet Witch does that nobody ever fully understands because it's really at the will of whoever's writing her as, to, as far as what those powers are and how she actually uses them. But really enjoyed this character a lot. I'm a huge fan of Scarlet Witch. I think that much in the way that um, that Hulk got to be a breakout star of this film, of the first Avengers film. I think this one had two breakout stars in Scarlet Witch and The Vision. And I might even get, as much as I love The Vision, I actually think I came away liking Scarlet Witch the most out of the new characters. Agreed. Yeah. Oh, go ahead, Katie. Oh, okay. I love Scarlet Witch, and I think I was pleasantly surprised because I went into the movie and maybe this is just I don't like to read too much of um, like what they're doing and, and any kind of rumors so I went into it knowing they had a role but I didn't realize they were going to give her so much of an impact I guess you could say so I loved everything they did and I loved like you said the the moment with Hawkeye and the speech that was just brilliant and then seeing her like when she you know she comes out and the doors open and she's just like kicking everybody's ass and you know at the end when they're all there and she says I'll stay like this is my job you know and her and Hawkeye again have that little moment where he like nods at her like okay Mm -hmm. like you're you are you're an Avenger now so this is your job like you've got this and I like that and she pays that off later when she's in charge of kind of guarding that center of the city or you know, so that Ultron can't put a hand on it to drop uh, Sokovia, like that when Quicksilver says, I'll stay here with you, and she says, no, like you go do your thing. Like, this is my job. Like she, she pays it off. I loved it. Yeah. And so I just, they did such a good job with her and she did such a, a good job. Like Elizabeth Olsen just really became Scarlet Witch. That was probably, you know, there's always like times where people get cast and you're kind of a little worried about it. Mm-hmm. I know um, my my best friend is a huge Scarlet Witch fan and she immediately called me after seeing the movie and apparently um, at the scene with, Quil- with Quicksilver, which I know we'll get to, but that was like her defining Scarlet Witch moment mm-hmm. where she just falls and you see like all that pain and anguish and she apparently actually cried out in the theater and her friend who was like three rows back was like, oh, that was Liz. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I, know, I know who that was. Yeah. But I, I liked that, no. you know, like that, well, that if was you the powerful fan. Yeah, that powerful performance. And when she is the one who she's the one who actually, well, I guess Ultron was still technically alive after that because there was one century bot left. But she's the one who takes out like vibranium upgrade Ultron. Mm-hmm. And when she when she says that line, like. This is you know, how it feels. Yeah, like I already died. Like when he says you'll die, he's like I, I already did. Do you want to know how it felt? And then she rips like what would be his mechanical heart out, and just it felt like that. I was just oh man. And it and, felt like that was the per- she was the one who had to do that. You mm-hmm. know, for them to introduce a character in a movie that ends up being the one that takes out Ultron, and it feels totally justified. Mm-hmm. And and for her to start off as you know kind of like a villain and have that one eighty, like that's really good you have to give it up to the the writing and the way that they did the film because if that hadn't been delivered the way it was you might not have believed that she should be an avenger or she should be you know part of the team so yeah she's one of my favorite parts of the film for sure yeah i have nothing really to add i mean i love scarlet witch she was one of the breakout i think uh 
characters from this film, uh, especially with what we get with Quicksilver, and which we'll probably jump to in a second. So she was, I think everything Kate and Sean said was, was dead on. I thought she was pretty appropriate from, even from the base in the comic books. I think they did a great job. Like you said, Sean of explaining her powers. So, um, to be honest, I really, really dug, um, what they did with the character and she's great. Well, let's move on to, uh, discussing Quicksilver. So we, I think Quicksilver was probably one of my bigger concerns going into this because while I liked Aaron Taylor Johnson in Kick-Ass, I loved him in that, especially the first one, still enjoyed his performance in the second one. I was a little worried after Godzilla last year because, I mean, his performance was just so dry and so wooden. And the one thing I, I thought about, though, is kind of my the thing I was clinging to for hope with his performance in Age of Ultron was that, you know, the human characters in general were just painfully underdeveloped in Godzilla last year. So uh, I was kind of relying on that. And I, I think with his performance, he proved that I mean, he's a he's better than what he got to show in Godzilla last year and more in line with what he was doing in Kick-Ass because I really felt like this was Quicksilver. Like this was Quicksilver as I know the character. I mean, he's funny, cocky, and sometimes just plain douchey with some of his lines and his, his jokes. But I, I really... Doug, uh, I really got into the character again. Like I said, the backstory with him and Wanda worked uh, really well, and I enjoy. I liked the way that they did his super speed. You know, uh, they did some slow mo stuff, but I, I really liked the, how most of the time when he was do, using his powers, he was just kind of a blur. But I, I think what I enjoyed so much about him is when he makes his hero turn, he's great. I mean, as the train is you know barreling down in Korea and he's just zipping through, moving people out of the way, uh, you see. Uh, his power set when he's killing uh, the or taking out the Ultron bots, I thought looked really great. So he had some cool action beats there. And then he has kind of a, a defining moment of the film where the the one time he wasn't fast enough, you know, it, it takes him out. But he's it's in you know, he's sacrificing himself to save an Avenger because he he understands what the Avengers are like he starts out not being convinced that the Avengers are heroes that Tony Stark has been the villain of his whole life and the Avengers are a bigger manifestation of that and he dies in protection of an Avenger and uh, and also in protection of another innocent life of a child so when he says you know I mean his first line in the movie is you didn't see that coming and his last line is you didn't see that coming and I wouldn't say I was totally surprised and also, you know, my own fault because I had kind of, well, I don't know if it was my fault, but, you know, had unfortunately caught wind of some rumors ahead of seeing the movie. But, um, you know, I, I think as far as if you're not paying attention to outside of, you know, if you're not paying attention to all that stuff outside of actually watching the movie, the whole rumor mill, which is, is most people, I don't think you really see it coming. Uh, you know, a lot of people when I watched in the theater with a you know, regular audience, there were a lot of gasps when they found out what had happened to Quicksilver. And, and I, they had even kind of teased it and set it up before where he gets grazed by a bullet, you know, just a few minutes before in that scene. But when he dies, I mean, I, I felt it and I, I've already seen, um, I've seen some criticism online and some chatter about, well, you know, well, it doesn't matter that Marvel finally killed one of its Avengers because he was only an Avenger for five minutes and he was introduced in this film. But I don't really see that as a, a strong argument because most characters who die in movies die in the same movie in which you met them. 
that's how most movies are. They're, you don't have to be in three Avengers movies before you die in order for your death to carry weight. I think for uh, for me personally, it did carry weight because I had become attached to that character so that when I when the camera pans up and I see him, you know, just totally bullet ridden and know what exactly that means. And when he when he falls, you know, I felt it and I, I felt it even more because I see Scarlet Witch's reaction to it. Um, it it meant something. So now I, I, I really loved that character. I mean, I'm going to miss that character. I, I wish that there were you know, that we were going to get more opportunities to see him. But I also enjoy watching uh, the sacrifice that he made. And I love the way that Clint Barton honors him at the end when you see uh, Barton's new baby boy. And his name is Nathaniel Pietro Barton. Um, I thought was a, a really great touch. And of course, it means all the more with Hawkeye because Hawkeye is the one who had probably the biggest beef with Quicksilver throughout the course of the movie. So um, really into it. I thought they did a, a great job with Quicksilver and a very good performance by Taylor Johnson. Yeah, I, I think Quicksilver was actually a lot better than I thought it was going to be, especially with the Days of Future Past you know, competition. Um, yeah, I think uh, I was really happy with how they displayed his powers. I felt that, again, he has a, a great balance. I, li- I liked Scarlet Witch and him almost equally. Um, I liked Scarlet Witch a little bit more, but when they killed him off, I was hella bummed. And mm-hmm. also, knowing Wanda's powers, I was almost thinking they are going to revive him somehow, but that'd be really complicated. So I'm, I'm thinking, I don't think it's the last we've seen of Quicksilver. I, I still don't. I just, there's something there. I'm just, I'm not believing. So we'll see. We'll see. But I thought, I thought, I thought the portrayal of the character, Aaron Johnson did a fantastic job, put his own spin on it. And I felt that he was, it was a great use of his character and powers. It was a really, he was very well balanced in this film. I thought, I thought, See, I felt a little bit differently. As I, 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 I came out of this movie thinking that, you know, Hawkeye was the guy that got the the short shift in the first Avengers film, and I thought that Quicksilver was the guy that got the short shift in this one. I mean, it was, it was kind of inevitable with with a movie uh, featuring a cast of this size. It didn't really go too deeply into who Quicksilver was. I mean, that that doesn't mean that I don't feel like. They didn't develop him well. I thought that they did, but I would have liked to see more because what I did see, I really enjoyed. Uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson brought this sort of brash, uh, uh, run-ahead first attitude toward it, which was extremely appropriate. But he also just had this um, this air about him that uh, felt really natural, and it felt like he where he was coming from seemed perfectly in line with where the movie was trying to take the audience. And the action scenes featuring Quicksilver were spectacular. Uh, when he punched Cap in the face when uh, they were trying to to descend on Andy Serkis's arms dealer, uh, that was one of my favorite parts in the entire movie. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, just like the, the smirk on his face when he tri- went to grab Thor's hammer. Oh, was, man. Also, really, <laughs> really so fun. But I mean, as far as and that uh, uppercut the, to Cap was pretty awesome too. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I mean, as far as um, the development of all of the characters are concerned, I didn't think that they went as far as uh, they could have with Quicksilver, especially considering his, um, you know, his his kind of quick burning out in the MCU so far. And you know, Paul's right, we might see him again at some point. It's it's a pretty fantastical world where 
resurrections are possible. But um, I, I would have liked to see more. I think that they could have done more with him, especially considering how important his framing was going into the movie. Let's move on to the next new character, or probably the last one we'll talk about before we get to the overall Avengers lineup and before we get to our villain. And that, of course, is Vision. And so happy, first off, that Paul Bettany, who's been voicing Jarvis this whole time, actually now gets to be on set and, and really, truly work for a living. I thought that was really great uh, for him to be in that role. I think it's a perfect touch that Vision kind of evolves from Jarvis slash Ultron and becomes his own thing. And I love his line, too, where he's, I'm not Ultron, I'm not uh, I'm not Jarvis, I am. I, I thought it was a great bit. Um, the way they handled Vision, I, I thought was pretty much pitch perfect and I, I was wondering when he first emerged from the cradle why how he was going to get the cape and I just love that he just looked at Thor's cape and liked it so he made a cape yes. for himself I thought perfect. was I, I was just like how's he going to get a cape how's that going to make sense and oh this is Joss Whedon being smarter than me again so it was really great that he did it in, in such a simple but completely effective way but I, I really just loved so many great moments from the vision. I mean, him with the bit with Thor's hammer was just great. And, and I love that it was, of course, set up by the the hammer lifting contest and, and the party scene and that they pay it off as a way of getting everybody to trust vision or at least trust him enough to not try to destroy him right away is that it's kind of the ultimate test of his character and I loved that. And I love that he actually got to swing the hammer once to smack the crap out of Ultron. That was great. But I, I think in addition to some really cool action beats, I mean, because they went full on with Vision's power set. Like, I know it's different because he's got the, the Mind Stone. It's not his this little solar powered thing that he's using, uh, like in the comic books. But he's still able to shoot a beam out of it. Um, and he's still able to use his powers of going through walls or going through solid objects as he's using, you know, just jabbing his arm through Ultron sentries and just ripping them apart uh, to the point where it just like leaves War Machine just sitting there like, okay, <laughs> what the hell is that? Uh, really dug that. But I think beyond all that, it's that conversation he has with Ultron at the very end as they're kind of just having this little, this quick two-minute debate on the value of humanity and whether it's worth keeping on this earth or, or saving and being, you know, being in the company of human beings. And what I love about it is it's just a two-minute conversation between two characters that shows you exactly who those two characters are, where one is life and the other is death. It's just perfect. I loved Vision so much in this movie. So perfectly enjoyable character. Yeah. I had, you know, it's funny because I'm so glad I saw the movie the second time because one of my problems was Vision. And and not because he wasn't amazing. It just there was a stylistic choice they went with, and that was with the the eyes and the regular eyes. And I'll be honest, it I avoided every picture of Vision, and I wasn't expecting to have regular eyes. In the comics, he has, you know, just regular colored eyes. See, um, what's weird though is he doesn't really have regular eyes, and like I don't know why they didn't show it. Like they barely show it in a flash. Like when Thor splashed around in the puddle, like you see a shot of Vision's <laughs> eyes. And it actually right. makes sense that you hadn't seen the trailer because in the trailer that they debuted in March, like that ends with a shot of Vision's eyes. And you actually see like in the pupils, like how there's like almost like gears or parts like rotating in there. So right. they actually are these like robotic eyes, but you don't really get the sense of that in the final film because when they show the eyes like up close, it's just like 
flashed real quick. So right. it was kind of weird to not show the mechanics of it because that actually made it, I thought, more interesting in the trailer. Right. And, and, and it was weird because it took me a while to get over that, to be honest. It really bugged me. It just really bugged me. I'm like, this is weird. And but besides that, I love the vision. I thought they did it. It was a, it was a perfect, perfect rendition from, you know, from panel to screen that was pretty accurate. And I loved seeing him and I, in, in action. And it was really cool to actually tie him into the infinity st- um, stems, <laughs> infinity <laughs> gems, um, stones, that, gems, stems. It's all stems, good. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. It was really cool to have that um, kind of a little bit of a, have a little bit more of a connection, like what's going to mm-hmm. happen to him. And that, you know, obviously, obviously something bad's going to happen to vision. Yeah. He's got, I mean, if he has an infinity gem on his head. Yeah. <laughs> so, somebody's going to take it. Yeah. So um, for me, vision it took me a second time i'm totally 100 percent behind vision now even with besides the weird eyes i'm into it i, I think he's great i love the tie with the infinity gauntlet now so yeah i'm in yeah i loved vision i thought they did a great job with him and really i think i loved um I love the scene with kind of like the, as you were saying, the leftover Ultron where they talked about just like humanity in general. But I really loved that he is the one who swooped in and saved Wanda. Yes. At the end. And as I, I've literally told everyone, like, you know, right afterwards they went and, uh, I had to say it, you know, that's what they did. I'm just saying. Uh, well, but, I don't know how he didn't have. Yeah. Anyway, continue. <laughs> That's true. He wasn't wearing clothing, and you know his anatomy was a little bit different. But That's true. Somehow, I think yeah. he has the power set to pull it off. So. <laughs> no, but I did. I love that they kind of hinted at the. You know, I, I guess for comic fans, if you read the comics and you know their their backstory, I liked that he's the one who went back and got her. Yes. So. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was a good moment for him. One of the absolute best character introductions in the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. There it uh, is. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, and being a, a DC Comics fan first, the way that Vision was sort of introduced to me was um, in a similar role that uh, Martian Manhunter plays to the Justice League, where he's like the heart and soul of the team. And before I actually started reading Marvel Comics, one of the guys that I worked with at the shop who was kind of a Marvel mentor to me sort of explained Vision in that context to me in a way that I could understand. And I could totally see that in the stories that I would go on to read featuring him. But, I mean, Vision is one of those characters that is a hidden gem, no pun intended, in the Marvel Comics lore who's never been... Uh, sufficiently exploited outside of the comics. And now uh, we have a chance to see him in an entirely new way, exploited as the powerhouse that he is uh, in the movies going forward. So I'm really satisfied with the use of Vision in this movie, tying him into the lore of the cinematic universe as well as the best of what we know from the comics is an excellent way to introduce how much of a game changer he is to audiences who might not know much about him. And, uh, and I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm over the moon with Vision. He's probably one of my favorite characters in the entire movie thus far, and I'm really looking forward to seeing how he's used going forward. Yeah, very interesting because he's pretty much put over as the most powerful superhero out of all of them. 
almost instantly. And yeah. then you realize that, well, the only way the Infinity Gauntlet is complete is if that Mind Stone comes off of Vision's forehead. So that probably doesn't bode well for Vision in Infinity War Part 1. Um, and then we'll have to see if he's able to, how, you know, how he might be able to survive in the absence of the, without a Mind Stone if he can. Uh, but that, that definitely sets up probably a way to get the danger level of Thanos over in Infinity War Part 1. But I don't want to, I guess I'm spoiling that. But that's anyway, it's just speculative. But let's finish up with new characters by not so much talking about new characters because we know that we already know Sam Wilson, a.k.a. Falcon. We already know uh, Colonel Ooh. James Rhodes, a.k.a. War Machine. But we see a new lineup. And what I liked about it is that you know, they, they call it out right away that they're not the 27 Yankees as Cap and Black Widow are, <laughs> are walking in there because they don't have, like, their star power that's just missing. I mean, Iron Man's not in that room, and neither is Thor or Bruce Banner, a.k.a. Hulk. But I really like the makeup of this team, and I can't wait to see him in Civil War. I liked Falcon's new costume. Scarlet Witch now gets a more superheroic costume. Uh, War Machine has always looked badass all the way back in, since Iron Man 2, and even, of course, before that in the comic book. So all that looks great, and, of course, Vision is, is awesome, as we just talked about. So I like the makeup of this team. I can't wait to see them in Civil War. But more importantly, I, I thought it was a great way to show the mainstream audience kind of how it works with the Avengers, that there is a little bit of this revolving door where the lineup shifts and it, and it changes over time depending on who's available and, and everybody's uh, status. So I, I liked it, and it's going to be interesting to see, are these going to be Cap's pals in Civil War, or is there going to be turmoil within this Avengers unit where some of them go side with Stark and others don't? Um, but I, I, I like the makeup of this team, and it'd be really much in the way that we got an awesome opening action sequence with the Avengers that we know in this film, I would love to see Civil War open up with this uh, with this crew in action because I really like it. It's a good team up. One of the first things I thought of when I saw this, and I remember telling Chris this yesterday, was or I think I told you too, Sean, um, was this is basically the West Coast Avengers <laughs> from you know because yeah. they have. But I think Vision. they're going to call them New Avengers because they called like the facility said New Avengers, Avengers facility, yeah, like New Avengers yeah. facility, upstate New York. Right, right, and, and there's and, the sound. The song on the score is called "New Avengers." Yeah. As well. Oh, oh, cool. Um, yeah. So it was just funny because that's exactly what I, I thought of. Because you know, for a long time, and again, the Avengers. And if anyone knows who you know, the comic books at all, how this works, but everyone interchanges and, and things like that. Even more so now, but back in the day, like you know, you'd have the Vision would be on the West Coast Avengers, and he'd be on the Avengers for a while. It's just, It was a revolving door, like you said, Sean, but it's funny because I, I kind of look at Scarlet Witch, Vision, and War Machine um, as strictly almost like West Coast Avengers for like as, as I knew them growing up. So it was kind of funny to see that. I'm like, oh, Cap's with the West Coast Avengers because a Black Widow was on there as well. Mm-hmm. I don't think Falcon was ever on there, but it, it just felt, it kind of popped out to me in, in Vision all that stuff kind of popped to me. I went, oh, it's really funny. It's West Coast Avengers. But again, like you said, it's, it's a different lineup. And in the revolving door, they, they're setting that up. I think it's really cool that this is a totally different Avengers team now. And it's really exciting because that's we're going to get that in Cap 3, which people are now dubbing Avengers 3, if you will. Um, which it could be, but I don't know. Like you said, I, I'm really excited what they're going to do with this team. And 
you know, who's going to be on Cap's side? Because we all know, so we know they're also going to um, introduce um, Takala um, in Black Panther. So mm. I don't know. I'm really excited where they're going to go with it. Uh, I'm, yeah, I, I think it's really cool. I love the whole idea of this whole new brand new Avengers team and seeing Falcon there. And one of the, I'll end with this with, with my thought. Um, I thought it was really cool that we're, it's not a, this is a more diverse team too. I think ethnically we have, you know, two women on the team now we've got, you know, two, uh, African-Americans on the team. Uh, you know, it's, we don't have, it's not just all white dudes and, uh, one girl, you know, it's a really diverse team and which I think they needed to do. And I think it's really awesome. They're going that direction. And, And it's just, it's just nice to have a little more diversity in the Avengers. So that's really cool. Totally agree. As far as, um, like emotional reactions, you know, you have to rate any movie that you see based on a bunch of different factors, right? So you, you have the, the narrative stuff that you appreciate, you have the action stuff that you appreciate, and then you have the moments where you just kind of yelp and joy. Uh, this moment in the movie was one of the moments where I just yelped and joy. This was probably like the, the moment that I just got the most sheer emotional enjoyment out of. And when Falcon flew down on the screen, I about yelped like a like a injured puppy. You know, it was just like, oh god, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, exactly. I mean, the the lineup that they've chosen uh, yeah. as the new Avengers is fantastic. Yeah. And I I'm, felt like jumping at like the end of like an '80s sitcom where like it would just freeze frame with my hand in the air, just. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they could have ended it that way if they if they wanted to. But no, I, I I'm really on board with this lineup. It's a really diverse line. I mean, not just ethnically. I mean, as far as the characters themselves are concerned, it's Definitely. a very diverse line lineup of new Avengers. And per- and, yeah, personalities. Yeah, exactly. I mean, having Vision there, having Scarlet Witch there, having Falcon there. I mean, you have two guys between Falcon and War Machine that are just sort of classic soldiers, but they also take kind of a a different attitude towards their work. And I'm really looking forward to seeing those two guys interact. And uh, did they confirm that Cheadle's in Civil War? I think they probably have. I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I'm, I would, I would just be shocked if anybody, I mean, there's just no way anybody who's on that Avengers lineup right there, like is, even if they haven't confirmed it, like they're going to be in civil war. Like I, right. I just can't imagine it not happening. Exactly. So, I mean, this is basic civil war in addition to being captain America three is pretty much going to be Avengers 2.5 or 2.1, however mm. you want to number it. But I mean, I'm really looking forward to seeing interactions between Falcon and war machine because, you know, in the comics, the, the civil war event, uh, Black Black Widow was pro-registration, and so was War Machine. But you had Falcon, who was unequivocally on Cap's side. Uh, Vision is a little bit more of a, a wild card. We'll have to see, you know, where he shows up, if at all. But uh, and and Scarlet Witch as as well. But I mean, this is such a solid line. Just as far as the the new conception of who the Avengers are, mm-hmm. I'm really excited to see where this goes. I was very happy with what they chose. And of course, Whedon had to end the movie by you know taking that little slight dig at Cap fans not quite hearing yeah, the only the first the half. battle cry. But oh well, you know it was, it was awesome. How did you feel about the new lineup at the end, Katie? I really liked it. I like that, um, like you guys are saying, we're finally seeing the payoff 11, 11 films later. We're finally getting to see all these things that they've been 
pulling together and finally they've got this team that's been set up and now we can have the interchanging members come and go and really be like the Avengers that you see play out in the comics. So I like it. And I agree what Paul said, like we really do need a better, like being diverse Mm -hmm. and having a diverse cast of Avengers. And I like that that's the direction they're going. So I thought it was a great ending and a great look at, at where they're going. Like you don't, I think that for some people it's like, this might be the last Iron Man movie or like Chris Evans might be done. You know, you hear that, but we finally get to see like, it's going to be okay if that does happen. You know, if they don't come back or they only have cameos, like they've set it up to a point where it's, it'll be fine. You'll still like the next Avengers team or, you know, the next movie. So yeah, yeah, I've been coming around to that idea that this is actually the real alternative to recasting is actually just letting different characters take center stage. Um, Let's get to uh, the next thing I want to talk about is we've spent all this time talking about heroes. We haven't really talked that much about our villain, which is Ultron. And I really enjoyed Ultron quite a bit in this movie. And I think what I like so much about the performance, it was, it was like James Spader had been channeling the personalities of Tony Stark and Joss Whedon. Because even some of his delivery on his jokes actually reminds me of Joss Whedon when he delivers jokes in interviews. Um, and there, he, there's almost a little bit of Joss Whedon's cadence in there that I think Spader kind of threw in. Um, and it was great. He was such a cool villain. And I, I like that very often you see villains as kind of the heroes of their own story. And sometimes it works, a lot of times it doesn't. But in this case, it really did work because there's stuff that Ultron says that makes sense in a clinical and cold and but still slightly evil sort of way or sometimes very evil sort of way but it's not like everything he says is completely off base and untrue i like that he was funny because uh, it made him different from a typical robot but it also would it, it also reflected him being derivative of the mind of, of tony stark like that's he would have to kind of have that he had as a character he really was a full-fledged character because he had emotion he had personality so I, I really enjoyed him, like his whole bit with uh, with no strings, his joke about trying to find the word for children, I, I thought was great. Um, so a lot of good stuff with Ultron here, and he was a very formidable foe uh, for the Avengers. He was a big challenge for them. I mean, I think he was even a, a bigger challenge than, than Loki and the Chitauri and the first Avengers. I thought he upped the threat level, which you know a villain should do in a sequel, so... I was all into that, and I liked his kind of disaster plot at the end of the movie. I thought it was unique. I can't really recall a movie where the villain tries to lift like an entire country off of the earth and then throw it back into the earth to create an extinction-level event like the dinosaurs. I mean, I thought that was a pretty uh, a pretty cool, you know, bad guy plot. I think if I had maybe a criticism of Ultron, it's that maybe he was too funny. I, I liked that he, like I said, I loved the sense of humor. But I probably would have dialed it back a little bit in a couple places just to make him a little bit meaner and a little bit scarier. Not a lot, but just a bit, just to you know really kind of up the ante on that threat level. Because I, I felt like there were a couple couple spots where maybe he could have just gone serious and more just psycho bad guy mode that I was kind of hoping for that he didn't quite hit as well as I might have liked. But overall, really enjoyed Ultron. Personally, I, I'm with you, Sean. I, I think. Um... Ultron, for me, it took a second viewing to really absorb the character and to understand that this guy 
he's he's not the same ca- character that I knew from the comics. I felt Ultron was more menacing, less funny in the comics, and and, and that's fine. And I, and I realized, like you said, it kind of r- reminded me the second time I saw it that yes, this is not Hank Pym's mind that his brain waves are modeled after. This is Tony Stark, so it's he's gonna be a little more funny and a little and just little just a little you know a little more of his personality in that character, which is stays which essentially is staying true to Ultron because again they're modeling their brain waves and therefore if that's the case then you'll be more like that person than the other person. So which I get. I, I understand that. It definitely I definitely felt that he was way too funny. I felt that they tried to force that aspect into the into the movie and I know a lot of Marvel haters love to point that out like this is a comedy and blah blah blah. And I felt this is one one of the times I think that it was true to an extent where they've tried to make the villain charismatic and making him funny and I think it worked sometimes but I think it would it would have been better. I think it, um, yeah, I just think it would have worked fine if there was just like one breaks. or two, even just <laughs> even just one or two moments where he just went full on dark, dark, crazy yeah. bad guy. Mm-hmm. Like then I I think the like it's not like there was there were jokes that I thought didn't work or fell flat. It's just when that was kind of the dominant part of his personality without something. Like just, I needed something really more intense. Like, I think the angriest he got was when uh, Andy Serkis' character, who I don't think they named him Claw in the film, but uh, he's gonna be chopped off his arm. That was rad. Well, they, um, they, I think they, I think they even, I think they showed him his name Ulysses, Ulysses okay. S. Claw. It, okay, it does okay. say that. Yeah. Okay. So, um, and I have no doubt that that's what he'd become. I mean, they totally yeah. set him up to be oh, Claw. I mean, yeah. I geeked out when he cut his arm off. I was like, oh, that's a big deal. <laughs> but, um, oh, man. But, I, like, that was kind of the angriest that Ultron got was when, um, you know, when Claw had said, like, you're Tony Stark, you know, like, you're one of Starks. I think that, and I kind of felt like I want a moment like that, but I want a moment like that towards tony or towards cap like i really want to see him just go off and get mad and i didn't see enough of that because like that's one of ultron's things in the comic books is ultron just gets pissed Mm -hmm. and kind of loses control and i felt like that that only really kind of and maybe i'm not remembering it all accurately but i I felt like the only time that kind of happened was with claw and I, i didn't feel like that happened enough like i just a couple of moments like that, and I think would have made all the humor, you know, settle in a little more nicely. And, and to finish up, and I'll, I'll pass somebody else. Um, I just, you know, again, I, I felt like in that, even in that scene itself, he makes it funny, like, "Oh, I'm sorry," and, and like he, it's like, no, like to be menacing, and that's kind of the thing I'm talking about. Like, there's too much. I felt like they would have taken some of those jokes back. I don't mind him having those Tony Stark elements. It just it felt like it was trying to be hit, trying to hit us over the head with it. Like we get it, we get it. He's he's an evil version of Tony. And then um, I think for me too is also I think the look of Ultron was a bad decision to be honest. Um, I think I was fine with it at first on the trailers that I saw, but as I saw it in person or or in person, but in a long period of time, I felt the drones looked more menacing than Ultron did. I don't know. And I really like the look of Ultron. My I one, hate the my one problem with it is like, and it, it's only early on, like in his conversation with Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver, he totally reminds me of Billy Bob Thornton from Sling Bait. Sling Bait, like the way he nods his head after he after like every sentence he says, it's almost like you're going, mm-hmm, 
<laughs> his eyeballs bothered me. I don't know. I don't. His eyeballs. I have no problem with his eyeballs, but I. Ugh. Yeah. Overall, I actually really liked the look of Ultron. But Katie and Chris, how'd you feel about our our bad guy? I um, speaking of like him having moments where he just went psychotic, I think the prime opportunity would have been when Scarlet Witch finally can see into his mind. Yes. I think he kind of is. You know, well, no, this is like what I want. Instead of making it almost like he doesn't know what he wants, like he thinks he's doing good, mm-hmm. but really he wants to destroy. I think that would have been the perfect moment for him to just go like psycho and like, yeah. no, we have to do this. We, ha-, you know, yeah, and him just tell the really, kids to like, grow up. Yeah, and like get in her face because that's that's also their defining moment. Like that's the defining moment for the twins to really come over and and show up on the other side and i think if it was like because he put such a fear in them not because like i think that's a moment that doesn't translate like she sees something in his head but then they don't fully explain it i guess to the audience and that i think could have been a good moment for him to really go psycho but other than that i thought they did a brilliant job with him so i really liked it i don't I haven't read as much in the comics, so I guess for me the humor wasn't as bad because I didn't know what to expect. So, I think other the, than that, yeah, I think the humor needed to be there in order to, you know, flesh out the character and, and make him more than just the evil Tin Man robot. But I, I think what was missing though is that some just there was some pure villainy that I, I think was maybe dialed back and probably could have been brought up a brought up a few notches. What did you think, Chris? I thought that Ultron kind of represents a lot of the inherent strengths and weaknesses of of the overall movie. I mean, um, James Spader, he he speaks the dialogue with such a strange sort of subdued yet forceful cadence to him, which I uh, would I, I which I really appreciated. But I it, it kind of rubbed me the wrong way that the movie rushes through. Uh, the conception of what his ire towards humanity looks like. You know, it, it doesn't seem like um, at least I was really given much of, a, much of a chance to fully process what he wanted, how he perceives the world and his place in it, and how he perceives his creators before he's literally crashing the Avengers party. Um, you know, I, I, it seemed like they could have slowed that down a little bit kind of like in the in the same way that they rushed through some of Thor's yeah. characterization it seems like they could have it could have benefited from slowing down a little bit and maybe giving a I little totally more context to his humor you know like you yeah. guys were saying i mean it we expect as as people that are a little bit more familiar with ultron than the general movie going audience we expect that sort of maybe not righteous anger, but that seething that he often is depicted with. And uh, if they spent a little bit more time uh, simmering where the, the, maybe not the differences with his comic book counterpart are, but just where he's coming from at the beginning, it would have benefited. But having said that... But I, I agree with all of that, but I, like in terms of his viewpoint, but I did like the way he just blinked into existence. And was just kind of confused by that whole thing of like. Well, it, it's a double-edged like, thing. What is this? 
with a machine that would probably happen, you know, mm-hmm. especially with the amount of processing power that Ultron has. He, it would probably be a fast process. But as far as taking the sort of slower mm-hmm. supercomputer that the human brain is through it, it could have benefited from oh, slowing it down. I agree. But I still do think that Ultron is probably one of the best villains in the MCU at large mm-hmm. because of his formidability, because he um, he's able to extend his consciousness into an army. I thought that was an interesting... And, you know, there's a general criticism with Marvel movies, especially with the Avengers, that they just kind of take on this faceless army like they did the last time. But the army wasn't exactly faceless because Ultron was able to extend himself right. into a bunch of the different drones, which I thought was cool and which I frankly expected going into it. But I'm glad that was an expectation that was met. So overall, I thought Ultron was one of the most unique aspects of the entire movie, definitely one of the most unique villains in the entire MCU. But I think they could have cooked him his his characterization a little bit longer. I, I'm probably, as far as his appearance goes, I might be a little bit more in Paul's camp because I think there's something that's sort of, it, it, there's an otherworldly creepiness to his more traditional design because it doesn't look as human as he ultimately looked in the movie since he had like a moving mouth and mm-hmm. moving eyes and all of those things. I probably would have preferred that he looked a little less human but that's a minor criticism overall. Yeah, I thought I actually, that Ultron was pretty great. Yeah, I really liked that he was trying to make himself human. I mean, that's why he was creating what became the Vision was, you know, Ultron was, you know, th- there was that conflict within the character of he's, and it actually speaks to what he says in the line, people create the thing they dread. Well, Ultron has this hate towards humanity, but he's creating himself to look more human. So like he's, it's a, he's actually almost subconsciously backing that up you know, not necessarily being aware of it. So I, it fit his characterization for me to, for him to have a little bit more of a, a humanistic look, but overall, I mean, I, I agree with you, Chris, he is one of my favorite villains in the MCU thus far. And I, I really enjoyed him a lot. I just think there were maybe a couple little tweaks here and there that could have just made him uh, even better, but let's start. Uh, we still have a, a little bit to go through, but our next thing is let's talk about, um, criticisms of the movie do you guys have is there any criticisms that we've not already put out there against the film that maybe haven't been mentioned yet i think i've pretty much i've pretty much got all mine i mean my last bit would just be kind of similar to ultron is i I do feel like maybe I, i love how funny this movie was and i love how much fun it always is watching a marvel movie so i never mind the humor in in marvel movies i i did just feel like Kind of like with Ultron, there was probably maybe a few jokes that could have been pulled back just to uh, just to increase maybe the intensity of some of the action beats and some of the other scenes. But, I mean, it, it's really kind of small because there are only a couple places where I felt like, ah, I wish they had kind of pulled that joke. So maybe a few places where, you know, Joss Whedon's wit got the better of him. But I think uh, that that's pretty much it. My my biggest criticism, like I said, was the the whole thing with Thor. Do you guys have anything else that haven't hasn't been brought up yet? Not really. I think I think just for me, it's it's just I think there was just so much going on. There's too much going on in, in certain times, and I felt that they should have they should have been a little more tighter with their story and less you know and just save certain things for um, uh, you know or just not save, but just kind of condensed it a lot more. But yeah. you know, it was, it was a lot messier than the first film. How about you, Chris? Anything we've left off the table from a criticism standpoint? Um. You know, it's 
I said at the beginning that one of the big strengths of this movie is that it really attempted to be different from uh, from the first one. But that's kind of a, a positive and a negative. I think that that's overall and for most sequels, that's the right thought to have. But there were a few moments where it seemed like it could have um, it, it could have sort of not relegated back to some of the stuff that mm. the first movie did. But it didn't feel quite as much like there was as much triumph as the first movie had. And, you know, from a narrative perspective, that might not be a bad thing, you know, especially considering that these are characters that we're going to see going on. And it's not like every victory is always going to have trumpets sounding and, you know, the raising the flag and firing the cannons and all of those things like the first one did. You know, the first one had that awesome moment of the team first assembled and you're never going to be able to replicate that feasibly, especially if yeah. you're a writer that follows the logic that Joss Whedon generally follows. But, I mean, it could have likely benefited from something that was a little bit more triumphant overall. But it's weird for me to say that because narratively I do think that there is value in a victory that is sort of muted or a little bit more muted. Mm-hmm than the first one was, you know, because that's kind of how real victories work. But, um, you know, overall, I mean, the movie is, is, it's it's very solid. I don't think it's quite the home run that the first one was, like I said before. Hang but... on, you don't got to go into overall thoughts yet. That's our next section. <laughs> oh, <laughs> <But> shit. <laughs> you're all right. You're all right. Um, <laughs> before we get to our, you know, overall and closing thoughts, um, I want to give everybody an opportunity to list like a, does anybody have a, a favorite moment that hasn't been mentioned yet? I mean, we've already talked about a lot of highlights, but is there anything, Chris, that stood out to you as you know a major positive moment that maybe we haven't spent a lot of time talking about? Uh, most of the time that Captain America was on the screen. I mean, that's just mm-hmm. just for me. That's going to be the most uh, utility that I derive from these movies. But again, my my. Probably my most emotional and overall favorite moment was the unveiling of the new Avengers. I really liked um, the Black Widow motorcycle scene. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't really get a chance to talk about that, but I liked, and I liked her little line, like, I'm always picking up after you boys, and I don't mm-hmm. know, I just, her character development, like we, we kind of talked about earlier, even even Hawkeyes, I didn't approve of as much, but letting them... <laughs> Yeah. Knowing that, you know, Cap and, and Thor are going to have other movies down the line that they took the time to develop these other characters. And hence, like Scarlet Witch, I wasn't expecting her to have such a big role, I guess. So I appreciated all of that. Yeah, for me, uh, I can't think of, think of anything off the top of my head. So, um, yeah, I'm good to go. I think my absolute favorite moment in the film is one that we already mentioned. It's the Hawkeye speech to Scarlet Witch. I think that's my defining moment of Avengers Age of Ultron. But And we we rattled off a lot of great ones. Hulk versus Hulkbuster, Quicksilver Sacrifice, Vision and Ultron, Widow and Banner, the party scene. All that stuff was great. I think my favorite thing that we haven't spent a whole lot of time talking about are just the action sequences. you know, And it's bookended by the one that we start with in the film. And then the one that we end with, or maybe not the very end of the film, but the big climactic action sequence, I loved it. And granted, it didn't have the magic of seeing it for the first time, like that big tracking shot in Avengers during the Battle of New York. 
And there was no way to recapture that and make that happen for the first time all over again. But it was a similar feeling of just watching a comic book come to life. I mean, it's the shot you saw in the, tra- the third trailer that they released in March, but they pay it off here. Like just that big splash page shot of all the Avengers all headed in the same direction, taking on Hydra. Amazing shot. And then the sequence at the end where they're taking on Ultron's drones and they're all together protecting kind of the center of the city. I just, I loved it. It was so amazing to watch even like the team effort. I mean, and even like there's that little bit where Scarlet Witch is like kind of all of a sudden takes note of where she's at and how amazing it is because as she lifts like an Ultron bot like up into the air, Iron Man comes in for with like catches the alley-oop and like shoots it with, you know, his repulsor ray. Like all that just looked crazy. And you see that look on her face like, oh crap, like I'm fighting with the Avengers right now and this is amazing. And I loved that, and you see the action with Vision in there. Just, I mean, it is, like, essentially nerd heaven that you see in that movie, and I love that because that's one of the one of the beautiful payoffs of having this whole Marvel Cinematic Universe is all these heroes fighting on the same side, fighting together, and they just do some amazing things visually. And it's just like you know, when comic books would capture your imagination as a kid, you just open up and you see these huge action sequences on these pages of all these characters fighting together. And, and even now when you see it, a, a great, a, you know, beautifully drawn uh, splash page, that's what it was at both the beginning and end of this movie. So I wanted to make sure I, I called that out amongst my, my favorite moments in this film. But now let's, let's transition to our, our kind of closing and, and overall thoughts for Avengers Age of Ultron as we begin to wrap up. And Chris, since you were already jumping the gun, I'll, I'll go ahead and I'll throw it to you first because I know you just couldn't wait to talk about I your overall thoughts. No, I couldn't wait. Uh, sorry about that. But um, no, I mean, it, like, like I said before, this is a movie that isn't trying to be the first movie again. And Joss Whedon is he, – he needs to be commended for having the foresight to see that – uh, you know, you shouldn't just repeat the proven formula once again. You he he's talked a lot about how these movies need to be able to be absorbed as if no one is watching any of the other ones. And for the most part, I think Age of Ultron succeeds at being kind of a standalone Avengers tale. It doesn't want to be, uh, you know, just. Uh, an, another solo f- film with a, a bunch of supporting players. It is trying to be Avengers Act 2. And for my money, that difference is what makes it a solid and enjoyable next step. And it gives us just a slight glimpse at what the overall future of the MCU will look like while still standing alone as a, a pretty solid um, film on its own merits. Uh, action is probably Age of Ultron sets the bar now for action in the MCU as far mm-hmm. as I'm concerned and then that's coming from someone who believed that Winter Soldier largely did that as far as um, action with an impact you know you felt the the hits between Steve and Bucky and Winter Soldier but in Age of Ultron the action even though it's it's got a more grand canvas on which to play it still feels like it has an impact and those that that kind of shouldn't be but it is in this movie nonetheless so age of ultron is a deft aim at being something different and uh it has its share of weaknesses like i said before i don't think that it's the home run that the first one was but it doesn't want to be 
And um, even though that might make it overall uh, perhaps less enjoyable than the first one, I I really do agree wholeheartedly on the philosophical level that the sequel to the Avengers needed to be different. So, I mean, it's a movie that I appreciate and that I enjoy. Um, maybe not quite as much as a movie like uh, the winter soldier or perhaps the first Avengers movie. I don't know. It's, it's, it's really tricky when you're trying to compare it to the movie that this is a direct sequel to, but um I really do think Age of Ultron is a solid step forward for the Marvel Cinematic Universe as a whole and kind of a lesson on what sequels should be even though it has a few missteps. How about you, Paul? Yeah. Um, I think this movie worked a lot better the second time. I think I think part of the problem, there's so much going on that there, you – you just miss a lot of different little things that are important, I think, to the film um, that we kind of have gone through. Obviously, this whole you know last couple hours, and and yeah, I, I think that it's. Uh, I think Chris, you bring up great points. It's not, it's not the original film, and and it's not trying to be, which I think that's important to you know take into account. Um, I I also feel that it's just not as. Co- cohesive as a film as it needs to be um when you do this big these huge ensemble pieces which are very hard they're not easy to do let's let's remember that these are hard films to make when you have so many characters that you're adding in and you want to introduce because because not just because they're important to the story but they're important to the, everything going forward with as well and that's you know this is new territory as far as filmmaking i think and building characters that you know you're going to be using you know, years down the line or just a year later or whatever. So, I mean, it's, you know, and you're, they're going to be, it's going to be made regardless. It's not like, you know, this is going to be a film that if it's not successful or is a huge, or is, you know, is not, it doesn't perform as well as people want it to be. They're just not going to make a sequel and then all that stuff gets thrown away. I mean, this is a well-oiled machine that is, these things are, these things are going to be made regardless. So they have to work a certain Mm -hmm. way. So, I think it's important to remember that when you look at these, uh, the greater cinematic universe and, and making these films. So in knowing that there, you're going to get messes like this everything once in a while. And I wouldn't say age of Ultron is a mess in a negative way. It's just a really busy and it can be messy at times. And I think that's what I had a problem with initially with the film the first time that I just didn't know if I loved it or didn't like it. Cause it was just so busy and messy. And to be honest, I had kind of a similar feeling when I left man of steel and it took me a couple of times to go. Yeah, I really appreciate this film because of it's not, it's not, I you know, it wasn't what I wanted it to be exactly. And I think age of Ultron has the um, unfortunate uh, position of being in, you know, following up the sequel to one of my favorite movies of all time. And it's still very, it's still very fun. It's still a very good action superhero movie. It's just not perfect for me. And that's fine. And I think despite its flaws, I definitely really enjoyed it. And I, and I want to see it again, probably, you know, in a couple of weeks or something like that. But yeah, I, I think this is a, it's a good, I think it's a good superhero film. It's not the best, um, but I hope they learn from this and know that with, with anything, it seems like less is more. So that's kind of my closing thoughts. I think Age of Ultron is a great movie, and I like that they took a step back and gave us a bit of a, a darker side or a more serious side to the Marvel Universe because we haven't seen that um, a lot, I guess we should say. Um, but I do 
agree that it's a bit messy at times and it gets a little convoluted just because you have so many people at this point. I mean, it's a good problem to have that you have so many characters that you want to develop them all and bring them all in and you just, you can't always do that. So I think that would be something to look at in future films. How do we bring in characters and give everybody a chance, but not make it feel as messy? Um, Or maybe just not have them all. Maybe it'll be easier going forward with this new team, the new Avengers team um, to avoid some of that. So that's good. But I, just really good action scenes. I think this probably is my favorite movie in terms of action scenes. And I agree with Chris. I think before it was probably winter soldier, but this definitely ups the ante for that. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I just, I like, I like the way the film sets up for the future. It, I wasn't expecting it. And I think initially I didn't like it, as I said earlier, but I like that we kind of have these, as I said, like seeds thrown in between Captain America and um, Iron Man. And I like at the end that we get to see the new Avengers team and we kind of have this bright future ahead of us that anything can happen, basically. So it doesn't have the rewatchability, I don't think. But I think it's a film that has so much going on. Anyone should probably watch it twice before really forming an opinion on anything. So that would be my takeaway. Yeah. And I think most of the people who listen to this show will probably watch it at least twice. Um, <laughs> at pro- least. Probably have already seen it twice before uh, going and listening to this podcast. But you know, I've seen it three times so far, and it's still way too early for me to figure out where this film ranks in the MCU because some of the other films are just so good. I mean, but it's probably it's probably in my top five. I, I, think, I think it's probably... I think it's, highly likely that this will wind up in, in my top five maybe my top uh, three or four I, I don't know yet I gotta you know I really gotta get this on blu-ray to see how it kind of holds up when I don't have just the full theatrical experience compared you know watching it next to my other Marvel blu-rays but um, it's kind of I don't I agree that it's not as rewatchable as maybe the first one but that's not necessarily a bad thing like I when I watch Star Wars like I find a new hope to be more fun and easy for me to rewatch than maybe Empire Strikes Back, but I also think that Empire Strikes Back is actually the better film. So, and that's not to say that I think Age of Ultron is better than the first Avengers film. I don't know. I haven't decided. Uh, Age of Ultron has its issues, like all films do, but I think it also has so many great moments to compensate for those issues. It's definitely not as smooth or as seamless. As the Avengers, it doesn't flow as well, which I think affects that rewatchability. But I think Age of Ultron actually has some of the very best parts of any MCU film, even if it may not quite have the greatest total sum. It's kind of like a a puzzle where it has some of the, the prettiest and most beautiful pieces, but you could see there's a couple spots where maybe the pieces weren't manufactured as well and kind of had to be smashed and maybe forced into the the final picture Uh, but as i said at the top of the show i mean it really is those moments and those pieces that make this movie more than worthwhile and i think its overall story still holds up very well and i I can't help but love it for giving my niece a hero that she relates to and looks up to that's awesome and beautiful and i love that and it really is yet another wonderful addition to this ever-growing marvel cinematic universe so i love avengers age of ultron and that is where we will end our roundtable review. Sorry, I was like really had a goal to keep this at a tight two hours, and 
absolutely failed. Sorry about that. There was way too much to talk about. This podcast, <laughs> like the movie we're discussing, is just overstuffed <laughs> with things to talk about and dissect. Uh, and we're going to do even more. we got a Q&A show that we're going to be recording. Uh, but please make sure that you rate and review the show on iTunes for us because that gives you a chance to be on our show one day like a guest we're about to have on our Q&A episode. Uh, you can also subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any of our Making My Marvel shows. And you can continue this conversation with us, facebook.com slash makingmymarvel, on Twitter, at Modern Myth Media for myself, at Herman22 with two N's for Paul, at Chris Plow for Chris, or you can uh, follow the show at Making My Marvel No G. You can also reach out via email, makingmymarvel at gmail.com, or post comments in the designated articles on the website, which is modernmythmedia.com. So, for Chris Cloud, Katie Sullivan, and Paul Herman, my name is Sean Gerber. Thank you, as always, for downloading the show, and we look forward to seeing you in a couple days with our Avengers Age of Ultron Q&A. This podcast is not affiliated with or endorsed by Marvel Entertainment or the Walt Disney Company. It is solely for the purposes of entertainment and information. Marvel's official website can be found at www.marvel.com. Marvel, all names and sounds of Marvel characters, vehicles, and other Marvel-related items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Marvel Entertainment and their respective trademark and copyright holders. All original content of this podcast is the intellectual property of ModernMythMedia.com unless otherwise indicated. 